Today's episode is brought to you by Condition One. Say goodbye to chalky and mass-produced energy bars because Condition One is the perfect freshly baked alternative. Time-tested evidence dictates that real food is still the best fuel for the body and Condition One provides that with the organic ingredients found in the protein bar. Founded by a U.S. Marine, these bars can sustain you under the most rigorous conditions. Condition One is exclusively offering our listeners 10% off their next online purchase. Head over to GoCondition1.com and use the code POD10, that's P-O-D as in Delta, 1-0 to get your protein bar today. Hello and welcome to Profile Pod TV. I'm your host, Andy Anatomical, and we are back for another spectacular episode of the show. Um, thank you so much, wherever you're tuning in from. Today, we have our special guest hailing from London, England, award-winning filmmaker, composer, and musician, Mr. M.W. Daniels. And uh, he came up, it was very, he was very candid, uh, very open about his career, his uh, background, experiences, how he got started, what inspired him to get into uh, doing um, films, short films, and uh, his love for music and, and all those all those good things. Um, so I want to thank him for coming on and really, really uh, expounding on everything. It was really interesting conversation. We spoke for uh, it's about an hour and a half, a little over an hour and a half. So uh, enjoy this episode, and uh, don't forget to follow us on on uh, Instagram at ProfilePodTV and at Nineties Galore. Also, subscribe to the uh, podcast on YouTube. Click that little red button, as we always like to um, remind you. And uh, let's continue to um, support one another and and grow. And uh, just like my buddy Vincent from uh, uh, Sobu Effect says, keep it going, keep it growing. So, anyways, um, thank you again, wherever you're tuning in from. And uh, today was a little different. We had some technical difficulties. We're, we only have the audio version available. Usually we, we go live on YouTube. And uh, so no video this time around. Uh, we're trying to get the internet situation sorted out here in my house. And uh, we'll get that squared away soon, sooner than later. All right. So, and again, enjoy the episode. You guys take it easy. Welcome everybody to Profile Pod TV. I am Andy Anatomical, and we are back for another episode of the show. Uh, today we're doing things a little bit differently. Typically, what we do is we go live on YouTube, and uh, we also obviously we do the video. Uh, but uh, due to some tef- technical difficulties that I'm having here, uh, we will only be uh, posting the audio version. But that's okay. We're still going to bring the we're going to st- we're still going to capture the magic. So there's no doubt in my mind about that, and uh, yeah, it's just 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 the, the only difference is, um, yeah, we're not, you're not going to see our beautiful faces on the screen here, especially my guest, yeah, which I'll introduce you in just a few minutes here. Uh, so yeah, how's everyone doing out there? Thank you so much for tuning in here to Profile Pot TV on YouTube, and uh, it's been a very interesting week for myself. It's been hot out here in uh, LA, the greater LA area in Southern California, but I've uh, been to the beach many days 
and that and that's okay you know it's um you, you go to the beach and, and you kind of uh defeat the the heat uh, so to speak you uh you that's how you beat the heat you gotta go to the beach gotta be gotta be at the beach and uh so get out there get in have fun wherever you're at out enjoy the outdoors stay safe and uh you know but for now we are uh you know, uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be doing the, the shout outs here, here as always, we do the shout outs and it's always fun to, to give credit to those who are, are supporting the show, showing love on, on Instagram or, or wherever, wherever you're, uh, you know, on Twitter or, or, um, Apple podcasts, leaving comments, sharing, liking, you know, commenting. Thank you so much for the support out there. Um, first of all, I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, the everyday bike, everyday guy pod. Uh, my man is, um, showing a lot of support lately. We're chiming in on, on my, um, my live Instagram lives, my, uh, leaving comments, uh, you know, liking what my posts. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that the, the support and, um, hopefully we can collaborate in the future here and, and uh, here on this show or your show, whatever, man. Also, uh, Mega Man, uh, want to give a quick shout out to Mega Man, Mega Man podcast, the, is this Joe, uh, Steven is his name. And I see him out very active, man. A lot of activity, a lot of, um, constantly posting content. Uh, guys, the guy's a grinder because yeah, I think he posts like, or at least re- I don't know if he records, um, you know, several times a day or what, but he's constantly putting out, uh, episodes of his podcast. So, and, uh, just, and that, that one, for me, that's inspirational. That's motivational. That's, uh, like I said, you know, that type of stuff inspires me to, to push myself into, um, you know, to, to be more active and, and it's just motivational, downright motivational. So thanks a lot, Mega Man. Appreciate what you're doing out there. And, um, also spoiled everything pod and Mastoro seven, eight, five on Instagram. Thank you guys or uh, women or <laughs> man or woman uh thank you so much for posting and supporting and liking on, on instagram i really appreciate it and uh, like i said i i'd love i would love to uh, collaborate with every single one of you you know so in the future maybe we'll see what holds for us and uh, keep doing what you're doing inspiring doing special things and that's what this uh profile pod's all about man you know being inspired um showcasing showcasing individuals who who are doing extraordinary things in life and and being inspirational who are talented and who are um you know skillful and and putting themselves out there and contributing to you know that creative community in the arts or, or, or whatever, what have you, you know? So here on profile pod, you know, we will showcase, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, podcasters, artists, musicians, what have you. And that's what it's all about. That's why I created profile pod TV, uh, to create, you know, f- to have another platform for those to, um, share their experiences and, and showcase themselves. And, and, uh, again, you know, just to inspire the world, man, that's what we're trying to do and help each other grow, support each other as, as creators. So, and today is no exception to that. Uh, let me, let me, uh, one more thing before I introduce our, our awesome guest of the, of the evening. And, um, if you want to be on pro, uh, profile pot TV, yeah, hit me up uh, on, uh, Instagram or shoot, shoot me an email. Let me know. Let me know. We, we would love to have you. If you, uh, I, I always say, man, if you're, if you're dancing with penguins in the Antarctica and, uh, or, uh, 
you know, making movies or, or uh, you know, shooting videos, whatever, uh, we want to have you on here. That's what we want to have, you know, individuals who are, again, doing extraordinary things, super cool stuff, creating content and um, inspiring the world. So hit me up. We'd love to have you on. We're booked up until um, September. And uh, so just let me know. We'll schedule something and we'll collaborate. All right. Follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to follow us at uh, Profile Pod TV at 90s Galore as well. And uh, subscribe to this show on YouTube support the cause and uh yeah i appreciate the support man hit that little red button and uh your your uh, comments your support your likes your sharing of, of this content is always always appreciated so don't forget to do that man. and so let's get to our guests enough about me enough about me yapping here um i want to uh this gentleman is from the uk so we're kind of uh uh, on a time difference here, he's eight hours ahead of us, and I'm here in in, in uh, Los Angeles, California. It's twelve, almost one o'clock here. And I think it's almost uh, nine o'clock his time. I want to say. Um, so I want to thank um, our our guest first of all for taking the time here. This gentleman has done a lot of lot of stuff, man. It, it's super inspirational. He's done. Uh, he's an award winning uh, filmmaker and composer. Uh, he's also a musician. Plays the drums, uh, that I know for sure, and I, I want to say other instruments, and we'll get to that, and we'll see if he, he if he's done uh, how many instruments he does play. Um, he uh, he's here to discuss all about his career, his work, his body of work. Uh, like I said, he's won awards with his uh, his films, and uh, I I can't wait, I can't wait to dig into this gentleman's story and, and his background. Uh, again, out of the United United Kingdom. Uh, please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Martin Daniels to the podcast. How you doing, Martin? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, you know. Oh, no, no. Thank you for being here, man. What, how's the weather today out there in the UK? Um, it's kind of, it wants to, it's kind of stormy, but we haven't had a storm yet. So it's kind of um, like humid at the moment. Um, but we're hoping there's going to be a storm. There was a slight bit of rain today, but oh. not enough. Oh. We need serious rain to, you know, bring out this drought. You know. <laughs> oh, you guys need rain too, huh? You're like, uh, like California out here, man. It's just yeah, it's just been brutal here the last few days. It's kind of people saying it's unnatural for the UK this weather. It's not what we usually have, and it's just full on. Yeah, I've kind of got used to it now, but I'm not really a a hot weather person. So for me, yeah, it's like an endurance test, I suppose, but. You know, it's all right once you get used to it, but, you know, we need it to change a little bit, yeah. Oh, no doubt, man. No doubt, MW. Uh, well, I know your nickname. You go by MW, right? Yeah, there's a little weird story behind that, yeah, the reason for that. But, yeah, I'll go by the name, my normal name, uh, Martin. But the MW I've used for, um, you know, because it, it was getting confusing, um, my name sort of thing. So I just used uh, MW. I thought it'd be better. It used to be Martin Daniels, but my middle name's William, so I thought just use the initials. And it's just it has to you know less confusion um, because there's a magician. There used to be a magician from this country called Paul Daniels, and his son was called Martin Daniels. You see, oh, and, um, so I used to get the confusion with this guy. So for me to stop all that confusion. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's MW. It happened on a, a show by a guy called Steve Davis, who was like a champion, world champion snooker player from this country, and he does like a progressive music show. Um, and he played a few of my tracks quite a few years ago, and then he, in the comments box, someone put "son of," and I kind of thought, you know what, <laughs> I'm not going to bother doing this anymore. I you know, fuck that guy. I just going to like do MW. That's it, you know. Fuck all that bloody son of shit. So I didn't want that at all. So that's the reason I kind of changed it. So Steve Davis sort of inadvertently made me change my name, you know. And I'm glad because it actually works better. Um, yeah. It looks better on the releases and the, the symmetry of the the M and the W looks kind of cool, you know. Right, exactly. You turn an M in a, upside down, it's a W, and vice it versa. It looks all right. It's like a logo, <laughs> isn't it, almost? Like, so, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's like a Tetris it's piece, good. right? It fits right in. To, fit. Yeah, it's not as good as the Misfits logo or something like that, but it's still, it's, it's a good logo. Very cool. Yeah, no, that, that, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Um, I mean, my name's Andres in Spanish, you know, and but I've always okay. been Andy, you know. I've always been Andy. And, Andy, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so yeah, whatever. That's, that's my little... A uh, little story for for uh, my first name. What's the what's the reference for the anatomical? Anatomical. I just thought it honestly. I just thought it, it, it sounded cool. <laughs> I mean, no, okay. no, you know, it, it's an anthropological term, right? Anatomic, modern yeah. human, and yeah, that's right. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, and uh, okay, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's a good name. Yeah, uh, sometimes I'll say double A, or I just kind of play with it. It's for marketing, okay. I guess. You know, <laughs> right. That's no, yeah. good, yeah. Just having fun with it, MW. So, but yeah, yeah. And, and where are you? Where exactly are you in the UK? Are you in England? So I'm in London, England. Yeah, London, in England, south of London. Yeah, kind of south London. Oh um, wow! In England, yeah. Yeah, no, my like I was telling you, my wife has uh, her family's on her on her her mom's side. The, her cool. her grandmother's. Uh, they were born in. She was out. I mean, grew up in London. And, right. uh, you know, she was there during, uh, she was telling me stories about World War Two, and they had to yeah, evacuate yeah. their homes and when she That's was a right. kid. And, you know, it was, yeah. oh, scary stuff. And, yeah. You know, yeah. people, interesting people in, stuff. Like the cheap stations and all this kind of stuff during the war, it was a, it was a crazy time, you know. So, oh, yeah. we, wasn't, we wasn't bald then. So, luckily. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Before our time. To go through all that madness, yeah. 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 And, and you grew up in London? MW? I did, yeah. I grew up in London, yeah. Oh, wow. How was that? How was that experience? I mean... Yeah, it was all right, you know? I was always quite a quiet child, really. I was into drawing. I was into drawing wildlife, and I still like wildlife, you know? I love animals, and I kind of... When I was growing up, I was just drawing animals out of, you know, like books and stuff like that, so yeah. I was really obsessed by that. And, um, you know, I kind of... Yeah, just quite a quiet kid at school. I don't know what changed when I left school. But, um, yeah, I was kind of quite quiet, I suppose. Yeah. Just like the kid in the corner getting on with his own. Because I'm a Pisces, and I suppose I was just getting on with my own world. Mm. I was in my own world, which I'm still a little bit, I suppose, like that, you know. Yeah. Got my own world to myself, and that's it, you know. Right. That's, that's what I've been like since I was a child. And, and I, I can imagine uh, the well. You're in a. I mean, I'm here close to Hollywood, California. You know, Los Angeles, uh, a hub for one of the biggest hubs in the world for entertainment, what have you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right. And you, you being in London, you know, I mean, shoot, I can name 
thousands of i mean that's i would say that's a kind of a hub as well on that side of the world mm-hmm. that side of the yeah, pond you know, and right away I start thinking of all the great bands that have come out of England, you know, in the UK, you know, just, I mean, countless, right? Especially in the 80s, man. I, You know, The Cure, The Smiths, um, yeah. you know, Depeche Mode. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. just uh, the list is endless, right? Yeah. How was yeah, that? How amazing. was that growing up in that in that scene? Yeah, amazing. I mean, I was I love all that music, you know, or most of that music in the 80s. And um, I kind of... Yeah, I kind of felt the change from the late 70s to the early 80s or that transitional period where the music was going that way, you know. Mm. And I love all that. I mean, like the first Kim Wilde is my, one of my favorite ever albums. She had a big hit with the song Kids in America. Who was that? I'm sorry. Was, uh, Kim Wilde. So she had a song called Kids in America, which was a massive worldwide kind gotcha. of hit. Uh-huh. And that first album, you know, it's kind of, sorry, one of the first albums I ever bought. And um, yeah, for me, it's a... Um, it's kind of a landmark album, you know, it's an album that um, defines kind of mm-hmm. when it comes out, you know, it's, it's a groundbreaking record, you know. And that was in, you said the 79, I think you said, or uh, what year was that? The album come out, yeah, that album come out in 1980, I think it came out in 1981, I should know this because it's a favourite record really, so <laughs> I should know all this stuff. Um, but um, yeah, she, her and Kate Bush were the two sort of people that, I sort of idolised, you know, musically. Um, and yeah. I wasn't playing any instruments then. I wasn't doing anything like that then. So for me, you know, they were like the starting uh, thing for me. Right. You know, at, at that time. Um, and then, yeah, Human League, Gary Newman. Gary Newman I got into mm. really early on, you know. Gary um, Newman, yeah. I love yeah, that song, Cars. His song, Cars. Love cars, yeah, it's a oh. classic. And the Smiths, the Smiths found quite later. Um, yeah. The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, but the eighties thing was the eighties electronic thing, or the eighties pop thing, the romantic, like Spandau Ballet and um, yeah. Shot Boys and Duran Duran. I mean, all that stuff just amazing, you know. It's, oh, it's groundbreaking because all the production in the eighties sounds flawless. It's like they put all the dials up to the top of the desk, and this, you know, it's just. It's just a phenomenally Absolutely. massive sound in the eighties, you know. It's a, yeah, I mean, yes, you guys were spoiled out there, man, with the, you know, with all those bands and. Not uh, really now, though. It's pretty shit now, but back then, <laughs> back then it right? was great, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything like Duran Duran or Spandau Ballet. Yeah, because coming out now and knocking people's socks off, it just doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't work like that anymore, unfortunately. Uh huh. Yeah, I bet, man. I know. I know. You know, being a kid, MW back then, I had a. Older cousins, older uncles, and they were just uh, knee deep in all that stuff. Just and you know, uh, immersed in all that music, and and I was very yeah. influ- influential for myself because I love all that yeah. stuff. Being a kid, I'm talking, you know, f- school age, five, six, seven, eight, nine years yeah. old, and just falling in love with all that music. And even now, you know, even Wham and George Michael, and uh, yeah. I mean, just all that, st- you know, the Cult, the Cure, and uh they were all it was huge out here in la i mean it was huge everywhere right but it was uh, it, it was it just it was just an amazing know, the time like, the cult had like three there was two bands before the cult you know there was southern death cult death cult and then they changed to the cult so mm. it become you know so it was a lot you know and i love the early stuff but i love the cult you know i love um uh, love and the album Electric and two albums I really like a lot they're great records but I love the early stuff as well when they were quite tribal 
Okay. Sounding like I mean, Adam and the Ants probably was my favourite band in the eighties, and it still is. Which one? Adam and the Ants. Adam and the Ants, you know. Oh, Adam and the Ants. Uh, they were a very famous band. Yeah. Ant music and and um, standard deliver. Uh-huh. Two like massive tracks. So yeah, but everybody was doing something different in the eighties as well. It was kind of an eclectic time. Right. Um, right. Uh, for music, it was exciting because it was like discoveries mm. all the time. That's... That was, you know. Right, and where were you uh, as far as um, were you uh, what how what age range were you in during that time? Um, I was kind of eleven, twelve, okay, like thirteen, something like that. Yeah, and um, I think when all that you know, I kind of got into metal when I was twelve, so mm. you know, I'd already been to Kim Wilde and Tony Basil and all that kind of stuff, and. Right. I like Kate Bush, but I didn't really find Kate Bush properly until nineteen eighty five until the Hounds of Love came out. But I was just, yeah, knee deep into metal like when I was twelve, that was my kind of um mm. yeah, obsession. Uh, <laughs> and still is to a point, you know, but I found like Motorhead right. when I was twelve, found Iron Maiden when I was twelve for a song called Runs of the Hills. And once I bought that seven inch, that was it. I I was off, you know, that was um a obsessed by metal you know it was the greatest music yes you know most exciting music i'd say you know no doubt no doubt mwa so were were you uh more of a growing up were you more of a intellectual type of scholar or uh, were you into the arts right away were you you into Uh, sports no um i was kind of into football a little bit when i was at school but it didn't really last long uh, my dad's a really, really good snooker player, so I used to play snooker a bit. American football or football? No, like soccer. Soccer, yeah. right? We call it soccer. Yeah. So I was into that, like when I was sort of, um, I don't know, nine or ten years old. But mm-hmm. as soon as I found music, I kind of just left that behind. I got bored with with that, and I just got obsessed by music for uh-huh. long. But I didn't get into the arts or anything intellectual, like books or you know, uh, till I left school. Once I left school, um, yeah, that's when I started to sort of open up to to cultures more and stuff and be interested in stuff uh, mm-hmm. more. Uh, school was different because it was so extreme and intense. Uh, it was, you didn't even have time to think about being interested in anything. It was just this whirlwind of just madness when I was at school, you know, so. Um, <laughs> but once I left it was different, you know. I remember being in the science lab once and looking out the window the year before I left school and looking at this guy walking down the street because you could see the street from the window where we was. And um, I was thinking, I want to be that guy. I want to be. I want to be like free, you know, of school. Absolutely. And I was really envious that that guy didn't have was older than me. Didn't have to go to school when he was walking <laughs> down the street at like eleven in the morning. And I wanted that to be me. And obviously, a year later, it was me. And it was a bit of a different story when you do leave school and you're out there it's a little bit different but um yeah didn't get into any arts and cultural stuff until yeah a long time after really mm, okay and when did you leave school you said you left school what what, what age was that 80 1985 i left school 85 how old were yeah. you there? uh 15 15 so that was so probably high school age then huh you, you Decided, were your parents on board with that decision, or how did that play out with your parents and stuff? Or they didn't really, they you know, know? They wanted, what I wanted to do kind of thing, you know, and like we got a thing called like the Dole here, which is like Social Security, 
And I was kind of, I went on that for a, almost a year, you know, so I had a kind of year off of just like, you know, just like hanging out with my friends and learning to play some instruments and not really doing much and just having a good time in that way. But um, I didn't, I didn't work until the, the next year. So I got the job that I'm in now mm. um, at the end of 1986 and then started working 1987. Yeah. And, and it was great, you know, it's my first job and had some money in my pocket and I could buy t-shirts and gigs more. I could buy more records, <laughs> right. start, buying, start buying drums and instruments. So everything sort of changed, you know? So, yeah. yeah. What did you do then, MW? You left school and then uh, what was your, what was that job that you started doing? I'm in the same job now. Oh, the same job. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like the same job. So it's a job like Reaper Graphics, which is like scanning and photocopying and all this kind of stuff. But I've been in the same job for about 32, 33 years. Wow. Yeah. So I left for a year to do a record shop in uh, 1993 okay. to help a friend out. And he, he lost a lot of money. I didn't put any money in it. I was just helping him. And, you know, I was back on the, on the dole again and then... I got my old job back, which was really nice of them to take me back. So, yeah, I went back in January 94, and I've been back ever since. Yeah, I've been there ever since. So. Very cool, very cool. So Yeah, you, it's nice. Mm -hmm. So when did you discover uh, – what was your first love then, MW? Let's kind of get into, you know your, – your... Women-wise. <laughs> what, what was that? Women, you mean girl-wise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, besides, um, besides the women, right? Um, I wish there was more when I was uh, at that age, but um, was I it music? Yeah. Music was music your first. Was the, as a teenager, yeah, music was the first thing that I got into, which I was obsessed by, and I wanted to be a musician. When I looked at Clive Burrow on the back of on the inner cover of Number of the Beast, the Iron Maiden album, it's got various pictures of Clive Burrow on drums and the band. I was just looking at that picture for for ages, and I wanted to be. Yeah. behind the drum kit. I wanted to be in a band like I am made, and obviously I'm not, but I wanted to be in a band. And um, even like, you know, I remember watching the jazz singer, the Neil Diamond film, you know, the, the remake film. Uh, and there's a drummer in that film, and he doesn't play any complicated drums, but watching him play that, the drums in 1981, my parents got the video out, because they love Neil Diamond. I love Neil Diamond. Neil and, Diamond. Uh, just watching the drummer, again, I was thinking, I want to I want to be a drummer. Yeah. I want to be a drummer. Every time I saw the drums, it's just they look so beautiful and the sound is so beautiful and I really wanted to play drums, yeah. But I still didn't play until two years later, yeah. So I was still waiting for that drum kit to come up. You know, and it was at school when I played for the first time. So you started playing the drums about eight, 17, 18? Uh, no, I started playing the drums when I was 13. So I went into school. Like the music class one day, there was a drum kit there, and I just started bashing out motorhead iron fish, and I couldn't do the, the bass drum pedal properly because most people who get on drums for the first time are really shit at doing the bass drum pedal because it's, you know, the coordination of the beat. Yeah. Um, and by the time 1985 come, even when I left school, I was allowed to go back and go into the um, room above the headmistress's office and practice drums during the evening for a couple of hours. They let me do that which is really nice. So I got to do that. And that's how I got to brush up on different bits and pieces because I couldn't have a drum kit here mm. at home um, with neighbours and stuff. So that's <laughs> how I did it. So school's not that bad, I suppose. I used to kind of <laughs> slag it off, but it's not that bad, I suppose. Right. right. In, 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 in London, uh, in England, 
High school is what four years long. Um, it's changed now. I think it's, it's changed a lot since I was at school. I think they may have to stay on to a lot later now. I'm not sure, but okay, it's changed from when I was there. You had a thing called sixth form, which is basically you finish your school, and if you stay on, you go into the sixth form. Uh, and none of us in school, only the kind of people who wanted to right get an academic type type of thing right. that did that, but we just didn't give a shit. We wanted to get out of school and just <laughs> have, have a good time and just do what you wanted, you know? So that For was sure. that was the thing. It was a, it was a bit more anarchic, you know, yeah. in school. Yeah. So I learned more out of school than I did in school. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Real life is the greatest teacher, right? I mean, um, it is, yeah. And, you know, you just learn more out of books and stuff when yeah. they didn't teach me anything about you know music studies at school were really it was just impossible at school to do anything you know it was it was quite cruel the kids were just so full on and they'd be taking records out their sleeves that the the music teachers brought in and just like pinging them across the room and just smashing them on the wall that was what it was like it was totally like nihilistic they just didn't give a fuck you know so for me it was very hard to concentrate on music at school because it was so full on so for me yeah i had to wait until i left school to kind of um, embrace it, really. No, I, I hear you. No, that's, you know, uh, everybody has a different path, man. Everybody has their own. Yeah, role, yeah, totally. You know, and, yeah. and school's not for everybody, and that's not a bad thing, you know. I, it's just not. It was a good time, you know, for just having a good laugh and stuff, but that was about it, really. But for learning, it just didn't, no. You right. Know, the only thing I, you know, I didn't really learn anything. It wasn't about that at school. It was about just having a good time with your friends and, for sure. That's what, you know, that's what we saw school yeah. as. <laughs> just know? socializing. It yeah, it yeah. wasn't like that. It was like people setting, kind of almost trying to set fires on Bunsen burners in the science lab. That was what it was like in school, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so you fell in love with the drums, MW, yeah. right? And what was your first uh, experience being in a band, or, or how did that kind of play out? Did you, uh, you and a group of friends start a band? Did you start the band on your own, or or did or how? What was your first playing experience, as far as uh, performing in front of others and? Yeah, I was a like, music a standing music teacher. So the music teacher in the evening, there was a music class in the evening, and I started to go to it with a best friend of mine at the time, and um, the music teacher was probably ill and turn up or she couldn't be bothered to turn up. So they had a, uh, what they called a relief teacher, like a stand-in. And this guy was great. Uh, he, I was originally played bass, and my friend was playing drums, and he swapped us around. And, he, you know, I said, I want to sort of get into bass now. I'm going to be bored with drums. And he said, no, I think you should swap around, and you should be on drums. He should be on bass. And he, he gave us his basic four, you know, like kind of things to play to. And that's what we did, like, for about two hours that evening to get tight. And, yeah, it was great. So he kind of started me on that on that road of playing instruments in a way. Um, and then, yeah, just did a few studio sort of sessions on a four-track that a friend brought down, doing some covers, and then did, like, a, uh, what would you call, like, a grind y type of band that wasn't really worth really mentioning really and then long cold stair started in kind of late 1988 so i went through sort of 86 87 doing this other band i got bored with that left it because it wasn't professional and it was just a bit rubbish really at times and then 
yeah, started we started Long Cold Stare, and then that was the first professional band in that way. Long Cold Stare? Yeah, like a professional punk band. Mm. Sounds a bit odd, but it was the first band where we took it seriously, you know? Gotcha. And that, yeah. yeah. And how many members were in that band? Four members were in the band. And you, you were on the drums? Yeah. Any vocals? Yeah. Yeah, you're the vocalist, unfortunately. But vocalist is a best friend of mine, and he unfortunately took his own life uh, oh. 17 years ago now, yeah, in January 2003. Um, Sorry about that. Yeah, it's, no, that's fine, man. He was, um, yeah, he was, like, you know, one of my closest friends, uh, mm. Marshall, you know, so his name was Barry Lynch. And, um, yeah, he was like, a friend of our family and stuff like that. But he... Yeah. You know, he kind of had a lot of depression and stuff like that, even when we did the band. But for him, uh, he didn't. He kind of fed it into the lyrics. I think we were quite naive as a band, and we didn't really realise that we were kind of 19, 20 years old. But, you know, a lot of this stuff come out in the 90s, and he was opening up about problems and stuff mm. that was going on in his life. And I knew that the inevitable was going to happen at some point, and it was, it was scary, you know? I mean, everybody kind of knew stuff about that, but... right. What, what could what could we do? You know, I saw him two nights before he died, and I'm glad that he come visited this very room. Like, and um, yeah, I'm very gratified about that that I saw him yeah. 48 hours before. You know, and um, yeah, he was a great. He was a what would you say he was? He was a unassuming front man. You know, he wasn't like a front man who's got all that kind of um, uh, confidence. He was totally opposite than that wow. but when he got on stage this other it sort of come out something else come out of him yeah his frustrations were coming out but he was almost putting his frustra- frustrations to the side as well and he almost enjoyed that moment of playing in front mm. of an audience you know and um flip the switch yeah, kind of was, thing huh? yeah it was a great band it was quite deep his lyrics are actually quite deep uh for mm. bands at that time doing that kind of music that kind of UK hardcore. There wasn't many bands doing it, and his lyrics were deep. Yeah, they were very deep. Hardcore punk, huh? Is that long cold cold, cold stare, right? Yeah, we it, were like straight edge hardcore at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like the straight edge movement was pioneered. Oh, okay. By America, yeah, like in right. the early eighties, uh, especially in New York. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we kind of started like that. But it didn't take long before the band started smoking weed. It wasn't. I didn't smoke weed until later, but a couple of the guys in the band were yeah. were poking at rehearsals, you know. <laughs> which I was thinking, what? You know, what are you doing? But that's cool, you know. Yeah, you know, and listening to some of your songs, uh, Long Long Cold Stare, correct me if I'm wrong, MW, but I hear a lot of, um, like, uh, Nirvana-ish, early 90s grunge. Yeah. Was that a, uh, an influence for you guys? Um. Well, we finished in 1990. We played our last gig in August 1990. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so for us, in in the summer of 89, I think Bleach came out, the Vine. Yeah. Um, and that blew our mind. You know, that was like, what the fuck is this? It was an amazing record, you know. Yeah. And yeah. the track Negative Creep, you know, I remember playing that track just so, right. so many times. It was just like, I was thinking, you know, it doesn't really matter about metal anymore. This track is the track you know this is like the future mm. genius piece of music you know Kurt Cobain wrote and um, we done a cover when we did the Long Cold Stare album with Floyd the Barber 
we all woke up one morning and we we slept in the studio and uh, the engineer didn't hadn't got there yet. Uh-huh. We managed to sort of I don't know how we done it miraculously work the controls and <laughs> record a basic track of Floyd the Barber and it was absolute rubbish. Um, <laughs> and the guy who done who was doing a label at the time said, "Oh, you're not going to put that on there, are you?" But we for us, you know, we, we I think it was like we were jamming Floyd the Barber. You know? Floyd the Barber, yeah. And um, we're obsessed by Nirvana, yeah. We love Nirvana. That's on Bleach, right? The first album, you know. That's on Bleach, yeah. Floyd the Barber. A few times and, you know, so the grunge thing, I mean, I loved a lot of that music. I didn't really like the, the name grunge. I, I was just thinking it was a bit insulting to the band, yeah. really. You know, yeah. It was so much more important than that kind of name. But, <laughs> yeah, I love those bands. But we're already finished. If we kept going, yeah, we would have taken things from that. But, um I'm not sure when Loud of the Love came out, Soundgarden, but that was like a favourite record of ours as well, you know. And um, Pearl Jam came out in the 90, in 1990. Yeah. 91, I think. I think it's 91. So it's a bit later. Yeah, it's a bit later. And Mother Love Bone and Alice in Chains. And it's amazing stuff. All oh. bands. It's genius, you know. Unbelievable. You know, especially Dirt, Alice in Chains. I mean, it's like that song Rooster. It's just like one of the greatest songs yeah. ever written. You know, it's like a fucking brilliant track, you know. Gosh. It's absolutely amazing, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, again, it's not been, it's not been better. It's another musical movement where no one's got that energy anymore. It's no, not, nothing's happened, you know. From that, you know, I want to hear like the Chloe Dancer, Crown of Falls song that Mother Love Bone did. It's like one of oh. the greatest tracks ever written, but no one's doing that sort of stuff. And you've got to look back for for good music, you know. But we, I suppose Nirvana, yeah, it was an influence on the new stuff that we were writing at the time, definitely. We wrote five new songs after we did the first album, and uh, we never got to record them because um, we already split up, so it's unfortunate, really. Right, and then so after Long Cold Stare, you st- uh, you started, uh, or, di- or you were in uh, Scalp Lock, is that correct? Um, no, after Long Cold Stare, we did a... Um, I was in a band called Snow Baby, which was like an indie band, okay, which is good. And then we, a member of that and myself, uh, formed a band called Vina Caver, which was like an indie band, but it's like a King Crimsony mm. type of indie band where it was odd time changes. And we'd done that for about a year and a half, something like that. And I did a band called Simon Pure with um, Barry, who was a singer in Long Cold Stay, who was playing bass. Okay. Jamie was the guitarist in Long Cold Stare playing guitar. Um, and that was good, you know, but it was short there, just a demo, didn't do any gigs. And then just did a few bits and pieces. And then Scout Lock, yeah, that was in 1993. So right. I did that from 93 till 94. Mm-hmm. And then left it for the first time. So it was a four piece. Uh, 95, we got signed to like a an agency to do with Jamiroquai, who was, uh, you, I don't know if you've if, if yeah. you heard Jamiroquai before. Oh, yeah. And we were doing an indie band. Virtual Insanity. Um, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that came out just after we finished that band, you know? That, yeah, I love and that song. They wanted four guys that were like on a rival oasis that were kind of sounding like Zeppelin who could really play their instruments and we could play our instruments. I'm not saying Oasis couldn't, you know, they've done some great records, but uh-huh. they wanted people with the kind of more funky side of things. And we were really into Funkadelic and Zeppelin and just mixing this sound up. And unfortunately, it never actually got as good as that, you know. Um, and Very then cool. I went to America, went to New York to try it for a band called Shelter. Mm. 
and was staying in a, a Krishna temple in New York for two weeks. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to get the job. They said, you know, you've done really well, you know, and I'm not sure if they wanted me for the job or not, but I didn't want to live overseas at the end of the day, even though I love, love New York. So I come back, and at the end of 95, I bumped into, in the street, literally, the Pete from Scatlock, you know, and it was like a chance meeting. Really? Uh, I was out delivering one day. I was like, how are you going, you know? I was going, oh, I'm finishing work in, what, 10 minutes? She's got to do a delivery. Why don't we go for a beer and have a chat, man? He's like, yeah, we chatted, and that was it. It was like, we should restart Scout Block. And then that's what we did. And we oh. we were doing it for the next – we were doing it until 2004 from 1996. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Meeting, yeah, that happened with another band I've, I've done as well. Like a chance meeting in the street changed, <laughs> changed it. Always strange, isn't it? You know? Very cool. Yeah, no. And going back to Scalp Lock, MW, yeah. uh, the cover for the, the, the album is Inculcate the Fear? It's a seven-inch single, that is, yeah. That's a single? Okay. Now it's that, a single, yeah. The cover for that is interesting. That picture is uh, the guy with a, a yeah. machete, right? And, right. A, and then a, a, a woman who appears maybe to be the, the person's mother or a motherly figure yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, interesting photo there. Yeah, that, that machete looks yeah. scary. That's scary. Inculcate the fear, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, Scout Block, um, the singer, Pete, was um, got a PhD now in anthropology. So he was he was teaching anthropology at a university in London. Mm. And he was really into, but he's really into obviously human rights, which you all into, we're all into. Yeah. Still are, but. He wanted the band to be talking about like um, indigenous rights, like Haitian people oh. like, in Haiti, Haitian rights, and that's where that picture, picture comes from. From Haiti, so obviously, you know, from Haiti, yeah. Oh wow! Um, so if you look at like the name in Colcay, and that means like instill, instilling something, right? Yes. So instilling the fear. So I was thinking like it was against, you know, against the warships coming out, coming over, and stuff like that, and destroying people's kind of livelihoods and stuff like that and it was like kind of like turning the fear back onto them and i think it was that kind of idea and it was i think that picture signifies like a a very strong family kind of ethic in a different culture you know right like the like you know the, like protecting your your own against you know these kind of aggressors and oppressors that are trying to gotcha. destroy you basically you know and so we were you know there's like 12 songs on that single um but yeah so it was like you know indigenous rights that was the kind of um the big thing that the band was talking about and his lyrics are excellent you know he's a phenom- phenomenal lyricist you know very clever awesome yeah absolutely man that's very interesting very interesting and, and you toured with scalp lock correct in u.s and yeah. in europe right yeah yeah we did two tours we did the states for about two and a half weeks in 1998 and we did Europe for two, two or three weeks in 1999. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, and they were great. Yeah, you know, the States was phenomenal. It was just what a blast that was. It played some amazing places. Played some places that weren't great. Uh, <laughs> it was like a couple of people and then their sort of dog and there, you know, no one really turned up. And there were some places that were packed and um, full. You know, people loved it and. We played a place called the Fireside Bowl in Chicago, which is not there anymore. Oh. It's a dis- disused bowling alley. So the, the bit in the bowling alley where you would bowl is where they had the gig. Oh, okay. Know? 
So, and it was just full people just going nuts. And we played a, we played an amazing show that night, you know, phenomenal show. Mm. And I remember before the gig, uh, I was eating steak and chips and I don't normally eat steak at all. But back then I did. And I, I ate it really quickly because Pete come in, he said, Oh, we got, you know, we're on in about like 10 minutes. And I went into the van with one of the guys and did like a, a pipe, you know, of weed. And I did the gig and I remember playing so fast at the gig, my foot, like the BPM must have got up to about 250 BPM or something. I don't know, but it was just insane. I remember looking at my foot on the blast beat and wondering how I was doing it. So I was kind of tripping while I was playing drums. <laughs> I was going into another kind of cosmos. And when we finished, I remember the band who were headlining dedicated their set to myself, which was absolutely amazing. I was like, felt really emotional actually when I did that. And they were talking about the speed, what a kind of superhuman drummer in the band that supported them. And that was an amazing thing for him to say. And mm. yeah, what, what a great thing to say. And, but next night we played Detroit and it was shit. You know, it was awful. It was just the rubbish. I liked Detroit. It was great, but there was nobody there. And mm. we were really tired from the night before. And so yeah. it was like one show's good. One show's not very good. That's right. fine. So, but most of them were cool. You know, it was, we had a really good time. Philadelphia and Iowa was just like the hottest place I've ever played in my life. It was just like just burning <laughs> heat, you know. It was Iowa. But yeah, it was at that time. But uh, at that time of year. But yeah. Mostly Michigan. We were situated around Lake Michigan and we okay. were playing lots of gigs, sort of, you know, Wisconsin and that kind of stuff, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you didn't really come out to uh, California, the West Coast at all? No, we planned to, I think, in like the early 2000s. We were planning to go to Australia, go to Spain, and then come out to California, and uh, but in, or even New York. We never got to New York, but it, it just never happened, you know. I see. Um, but if we'd got, gone on another five years, we would have done that most definitely. But sure. the gigs we did play in the States were, they were mem very memorable, like kind of going down the freeway and just doing bombs, you know, and having the Beach Boys blaring. And mm. it was just uh, amazing, you know. We almost got killed as well uh, in America. So that was a close shave because our uh, driver fell asleep at the wheel in the oh. freeway. I know, and he was straight edge. He wasn't even drinking or smoking. He just fell asleep. But luckily, us. But yeah, luckily, our singer Pete was in the front seat, and yeah. he's a great, he's a master driver. So he grabbed the the van and pulled it over. But if it wasn't for him, yeah, I don't think I'd be sitting here speaking to you. Oh, and God. it was a really scary thing. It was remember it shaking. This in the middle of the night on the freeway and terrifying. So I think Pete saved our lives that night. You know. Where was that at MW? What state? That was on the American tour. That was 1998, yeah. We're all the way back from a gig. Where at, though? Do you, do you remember where exactly? No idea. What no state, idea. What state that was? Somewhere. Uh, no idea, no. Mm -hmm. I was I was asleep in the back of the van, uh, and I got woken up by the van just shaking from side to side. Gosh. Where he was, obviously, it, we were about to crash and stuff. And, um, yeah, that was the oh. nearest I've been to a scary situation, really. No <laughs> so, doubt. No doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, you know, but, but you know you mentioned 1998 99 and i remember it was clear as day you know and that those years and gosh yeah. time flies you know it's it's unbelievable it does. It's, uh, where here we are 20 years later 21 years later and uh, it's insane isn't it i know i've got less hair now but it's <laughs> one, of those, one of those things that happens when you age isn't it you know right right you know it's uh 
so, so yeah, it's a uh, you know part of life, right? <laughs> um, it is. Yeah, you're right. That's true. Yeah. So so you scout after scout block. When did you do uh, the one man band thing with derelict sermon? Sermon uh, scout block. I left in I think 2004. Right. Serves me right. And I didn't do. I was just experimental music for another couple of years, you know. Because one thing I didn't tell you in the night in the nineties, a best friend of mine, John Marshall, I used to feed his cat when he was away. So he used to go to like music festivals like Glastonbury and that sort of stuff. Oh wow! And he got some keys cut for me, so I used to go around feed his cat, and you know I could <laughs> set, I could, you know, yeah, I, I love, love his cat, and I could set up my equipment in his bedroom. And just experiment. And I was doing that for 10 years. Uh, wow. So I was setting up just a tape recorder, no computers, nothing like that, like two free keyboards, a tape recorder, a hi-fi that he gave to me. And I was like, feeding all this music, like absolutely full-on volume in the room. Um, surprise the neighbours didn't say anything at that time. So I was learning how to sing at that time, learning how to play keyboards and doing all this stuff at that time, experimenting, learning to cut up beats and Everything was done at his house, really, back then. Uh Um, And when Scoutlock finished, I went back to his place, you know, and um, I was doing that stuff. But I'd already started Eversuite. I know it gets a bit confusing. Eversuite started in the year 2000. So I was sort of doing that all the way through the last Scoutlock years. I was building that album with um, my friend Leoncia and me. Right. And uh, by the time Scout Look finished, we were already just working on that album. You know, it, that was the priority once Scout Look finished. Um, and we did that record, um, and it, which is getting reissued in a, oh, wow. in a month's time, I think. Yeah, on, on the label that I'm, I'm assigned to. So it's cool, you know. But it's another chance meeting. Like Lee, we did a band called Death or Electric Citizen, and I met Lee, Leoncia, but Lee for short. I um, literally met her in the street a year after that band split. And it's another one of those chance meetings. And it's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm going for a job interview. What are you doing? I said, I'm just finishing work. And I was that day. And she said, let's go for a beer. And it was the same thing. And I said, why don't we do, why don't we do like an album? Uh-huh. Yeah, and she's a brilliant, one of the greatest singers, you know. And we, we decided to do an album where I'd do some sampling and she'd do some singing and that's what we did for the next three sort of years, really, three or four years. Either you know? sweet. And that's either the trip sweet, hop. Yeah, either sweet. I suppose it was post trip hop. It was called, for us, it was like, we didn't really label it as any genre, you know, we just like, it was our sort of interesting thing that we were doing, you know? Right. Um, but when that finished, um, yeah, I think it was 2005, I went to see a band called Carnate. Uh, and the guitarist in that band was Stephen O'Malley, who is in a band called Sun. I don't know if you're aware of the band Sun from out of California. Like very, they're out of Seattle originally, but um, huh. S U M. It's the Sun amps, you know. So it's S U double N, and you've got like the vibration thing with the amps. People call them Sun, but they're called Sun. That's how you pronounce it. Like oh. one of the loudest, oh. heaviest, most full-on bands right, in right. the world, I'd say. You know, like phenomenal band. And I watched Stephen O'Malley play in Carnet. And as soon as I watched him play the guitar and the volume he was using, I just said to my best friend, um, John Marshall, who was at that gig with me, I said, I'm going to go out and get a guitar. You know, I need to do something and get a guitar. And um, I've had guitars before, but I've never had a proper 
electric guitar. So that's what it was, you know. He inspired me. And um, I started playing guitar at Christmas 2005, messing around with stuff. Wow. By July 2006, the first album was out. So I kind of worked quite quickly, really. The first Derelict Sermon was out. And then did four more albums with Derelict Sermon, where I played all the instruments, you know. How many? I'm sorry, MW. How many instruments do you play? Uh, well, drums is the first instrument. Play a bit of piano, uh, synthesizer, sing, play bits of guitar, play bits of bass. You know, can play other sort of like you know uh, percussive instruments and stuff like that. So okay. yeah, a few bits and pieces I can. And it's interesting, do. but most of the I mean everything that you play, MWs, from what I gather, and correct me if I'm wrong. You learned all all of your instruments, I mean, probably after you were 15 years old, correct? Yeah, most of it come after that, yeah. Very yeah, cool. Most definitely. I haven't actually thought of it that way. Really. <laughs> That's quite strange you say that. Yeah. I thought of it that way. But I did, yeah, knuckle down, as they say, and learn. Yeah, because usually what... Right, right. When I, when, you know, my, through my experience, when I see... You know, musicians who play as well as you do, you, I think, oh man, they've been playing since he was three or four or five years old. You know, yeah. and it's yeah. you know, it's kind of fascinating that you learned on a little bit later. You know, in your teenage years and and, and so on. But yeah. that that's pretty cool. And, and you played all the instruments for Sarlacc Derman, right? Uh, Sir, Sir, um, Derelict Derelict Sermon, right? Sermon. Derelict Sermon. Derelict Sermon's a great one. I like that. Should be the next. I should reform it. Call it that. <laughs> um, yeah, I played all the instruments, so I go in and I play the drums first. Um, gotcha. no click track. I just play the drums. So you just got the drums, and then I'll put the two or three guitars on top of that. Then I'll put the bass on top of that. And then I'll go to the pub, have a few pints, or just get a few beers. <laughs> Maybe have like a joint back then, have a couple of joints, write some <laughs> lyrics down, go back into the studio, and then do the vocals. And sometimes I have guest people down, uh, as, as, uh, an Indian singer called Lopa Katari. Uh, who's a great, excellent Indian singer, amazing. She does this thing with her voice that's like a voice box. Uh-huh. Uh, it's phenomenal what she can do. Ooh. But she was on two of the albums, I think, or maybe three. Um, what, so is she, what is her name again? What is her name again? Lopa Katari. Uh, gotcha. And she, she does a world music program on the BBC for many years now. And she, yeah, she's got, she's very clever the way she does her voice. And, um, she added this different color into the music and mm. yeah, it worked really well, you know, it worked really well, but so I was changing with Derelict Sermon. I'd change on every album, you know, everything will be a more, I want to challenge myself more on each record kind of thing. Um, okay. But as you, I kind of got bored of it. The last album was kind of like a split thing for me, you know, one half was done. I kind of got bored of it for a while. I was going through a few things in my life didn't bother doing it and I come back to it and finish the album so for me it was kind of an odd ended record mm. um, but it was still cool it was good but after that finished I was already starting to get into filming so you know it's kind of one thing led to another gotcha sort of gotcha and, and um, oh so do you, do you do any singing MW any vocals yeah I do sing yeah I'll send you a track actually with uh, my singing on it, yeah, but I do sing. I sing quite high, uh, like a falsetto. Okay, singing, but I really, you know, I'm really into kind of like Arabic 
um, music and Arabic singing and oh. Indian like singing and stuff like that. So I really like that style, and I use a lot of that style. And that's derelict sermon. Or, Not in Derek's sermon, no, because it's like pure screaming. But when it comes to the stuff I'm doing, possibly now, I'm okay. going to sing and stuff. And yeah, I'm interested in that, um, in that style. I'd like to do an album with that, doing that style. Gotcha. Of, uh, and vocals, you know, with the kind of shrilling sort of sound. I love all that, you know. But right. Listen to a lot of that. So that's music I'm listening to mostly, really. Wow. So, so it's it's fair to say that music was your first love, right? And then, so tell us. Uh, let's shift a little bit into your your film career here. And uh, so, how how did that, that come about? You started doing films. When did you do your yeah. first film? Um, did my first. Well, I did like a video for a derelict sermon song. Okay. And someone contacted me and said, "I know a guy who does videos. He wants to do a video for your track." And it just led on from there. And um, that guy's great. You know, he's still a friend of mine. He's a great guy. But then I did like a, a few bits and pieces with him. Like I did a full film, almost a full film. And then I wanted to do something more professional as in, yeah, like a bigger right. sort of thing. You know? And uh, there's a, a lady who was working on my films called Katarina. And um, her friend was a guy called Nikolai Cornham. And Nikolai... He's like a fashion photographer. He's a phenomenal, you know, genius guy. And mm. him and his husband, Josh, they're both like fashion photographers, professional, but phenomenal, you know, uh-huh. and filmmaker. And um, I said to Katarina, do you know anybody you can take a photograph for an album cover I'm doing with a friend of mine, Jason? We've done this project called Melrose Avenue, which we're still doing. And, uh, you know, I said to Katarina, could you animate the cover? And can Nikolai take um, like take the picture and then you animate it? Sorry. And she said, Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'll do that. You know, I'll ask him. And he took the picture and uh, she animated it and we'd done the album. And I said, So does he do films that night when I got back home? And she said, Yeah, you should contact him. He does he does film. Uh-huh. So I contacted him and he said, Yeah, we'll have a meeting. And it just that was that was five and a half years ago. And and yeah, we haven't looked back. And he's He's a very special uh, person, amazing, very, very clever, very focused, learned a lot. I learned from him every time I do a film. And um, What was his name again? Yeah, uh, Nikolai Kornum. He's from Denmark. Okay. You know, and he's, yeah, he's kind of aesthetic when it comes to films. He's um, phenomenal. Yeah, what can I say? He's amazing. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And um, what was your first, uh, so I don't know if it is Being Without, was that your first? Yeah, well, that was the first professional film that first we did. Yeah, with professional sound. Oh that man! Was, uh, yeah, that was in that was in two years ago. Yeah, the summer Gosh. two years ago. So wow. that's time gone really quickly now. Summer. Yeah. To the June, yeah, twenty eighteen. June twenty eighteen, we did that film. We did it in two days. Wow, um, that's a short film, right? Cause... All short films, yeah. We do them either in two days, or if we got like something, I'll write something that's eleven scenes. We can kind of fit in one day mm. if the actor's good enough. You know, we we can do that. You know, but normally two days, uh, at, at minimum in that way. Uh, you know, and speaking of being without MW, I was watching the. I truly enjoyed the the ending, man, where where Isabel turns around and the, you know, you get that. She just turns around, everything just turns to slow motion. Yeah. And the yeah, music thanks. starts playing, 
And yeah. oh, I love that sequence, man. That was beautifully done. I love that. And Isabel, of course, played by the beautiful Charlene Meredith. Charlie, yeah, she's amazing. Charlene or Charlie, as we call her. Yeah, she's amazing. And, and uh, she actually lives in America now. I think she lives in California now. Oh, wow. Oh. She moved to America last year. I got to look her up. kind of restart her career, yeah. And so, so her and her, her husband, who's a photographer, uh, a great photographer, they moved to the States, but I wasn't sure if she's coming back or not. But oh. funny enough, that, that one sequence is actually my favorite ever sequence of any of my films, not to sort of you know, put any of the other films in, you know, disregarded, but I love that, that, um, sequence. Cause I remember Nikolai sent me the, the first edit and I uh -huh. watched it and I felt really emotional watching that, um, film and the final bit just blew my head off, you know? And, um, you know, I made the music when I made the music or the script, that's the first scene I wrote in the film, by the way, wow. the, I kind of started and went backwards. So uh -huh. That's the first thing I wanted them to pass at the fair. And, um, yeah, I love that. And she's, you know, she's phenomenal. She's amazing. She's such a great actress as, as, yes. well, as, as well as Peter, you know. She's very powerful on screen and mm. she's got a great presence, you know. She's yeah. very good. Yeah, I got to look her up on Instagram. Tell her. Uh, yeah, she's somewhere in, in California, I think. Yeah. 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 And, and you compose the music as well, right, for your films? For all the films, yeah. Right, every film, yeah. Beautifully, man. Beautifully done. It's, Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, of course. And, and tell us about that opening shot uh, to. Um, being without MW because it's like a, it's a blur. I don't know what you would call the, is there a technique? Does it have a, t a name? It's, it's a uh, blur basically it, to focus. Yeah. I think it's a blur to focus. Nikolai would know that cause I don't film the films. Like, you know, I do everything else. We've got, he does the camera work and the editing. Denise, who's a professional sound lady. Uh, she does all the sound and we've got a clapperboard guy, my friend Thomas. Uh, so it's a small crew of three people, uh, including myself and, yeah, I'm not sure what that te technique is. I think Nikolai just done something to me as a suggestion. <laughs> Sent it to me and said, what do you think? And I said, man, it's just amazing. You know, it blows <laughs> me away. That's It's such a good scene, and it, you see them on the bed, and it goes into it. And, yeah, yeah. he's got some great ideas like that, very clever ideas to um, to open up the film. Absolutely. He knows how to start a film. Yeah, I think the film started on the sofa originally, and he's like, you can't start a film on the sofa. He's got to start in bed, you know. And I wasn't sure whether to start it in bed or on the sofa. They were kind of kissing on the sofa. Uh -huh. We decided to move it to the bedroom. And I said, what about an overhead shot then? And he said, yeah, that's, it's going to be powerful, you know. Uh -huh. So you learn it all the time. It's, that's my first proper film. So it was a good learning process to, to learn all these little techniques that, yeah. you know. It's a nice, Nikolai seems like a nice mentor to have, huh? He's brilliant. Yeah, he's amazing, you know. He's very good. Um, wow. You know, yeah, cool. Yeah, we done quite a few films now, yeah, uh, together. So done a lot of stuff, you know. And, and yeah, and I notice uh, in your films as well, MW the you like to open up with the the nice establishing shot, right at yeah. the beginning of every uh, opening shot of the film. You like to the have a, a nice, profound establishing shot, correct? Yeah, yeah, it works. You know, it's better than. And there's someone sitting on the toilet, sort of thing. It's going to be, you know, you could probably get a good establishing shot out of that <laughs> if you if you're good enough, you know. But yeah, you got to have something like like that. It's got to be grand, you know. The whole thing's got to be grand for know, sure. The way it is, you can't really start off with something lesser, and the film gets better. It's got to be that on that all on that level, and 
we always take care about the opening shots and discuss that and work all that out. And when I'm writing the scripts, I, I take a lot of note and look at that more, more so now than uh-huh. I used to five years ago when I was writing scripts, you know. So I look at it a lot more professionally, I suppose, now you could say, you know. Right, right. But it's important to capture the audience's attention. Right. You it is, yeah. You want to grab the attention, right? Yeah, I think we do. You know, bring I've them been in. To quite, a few, quite a few film festivals where my films have been played, and I think one thing I notice is the actual soundtrack engulfs the room, which is quite amazing. Really, it's like a lot of the soundtracks are just—I'm not saying they're synthetic in that way, but they kind of just sit there on the screen. But for some reason, my music kind of just kind of sucks the air out of the room, you know. And um, yeah, yeah, I've noticed that a lot. And that's kind of a good trip for people when they're watching the films. So the music kind of pulls them in because it's got this powerful kind of underbelly going on of, with the music, you know. And right. It's a good thing to do, that, you know. So it's a good sort of double trip for people, I suppose. Oh yeah, no, it works really well. It works well. It, yeah, like you said, it pulls yeah. them in. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's the idea, you know. Absolutely. And Everyone Laugh at Leanne is another short film you did. And uh, very yeah. dark, a very eerie opening. Um, yeah. I, I can tell you like horror, right? The horror genre? I do. I love horror, yeah. Yeah, I love That's from my brother. I was meant to mention my brother earlier because my brother's the reason I got into music. I should have mentioned that. Oh, okay. Really. So he's the reason I got into horror films. So it's all down to my brother. What's your brother's name? David, you know. Oh, so, uh, David, yeah. David, shout out to uh, David Daniels, huh? I will do, yeah. He's he's a photographer and he's uh, in his spare time. He's really good. But so he he got me into music in, in inadvertently, and he got me into film. Okay. Um, to digress a little bit, when I in the seventies, he brought home an album in nineteen seventy-seven by a, a Japanese electronic composer called uh, Tomita, and Tomita was doing like versions, electronic versions of classical. Um, classical classics, you know, Wazowski wow. and all this kind of stuff, and Debussy, and he did all this stuff as well. But he did um, Firebird by one of my that's one of my favourites by uh, Igor Stravinsky. I didn't know Stravinsky when I was seven, but oh. man, when he put on <laughs> this record, I was like, it blew my mind. But then in 1979, he brought home another Tomita album called the Bermuda Triangle, and it was original composition compositions. Tomita wasn't doing any classical uh, variations of other people's music anymore. And I remember he put the cover up in the room uh, and then we left the room and I was looking at the cover, listening to the music as a nine-year-old, and that was it. I, I blew my mind. That and the Star Wars soundtrack the year <laughs> before and going to see Star Wars. So for me, yeah, as a seven, eight-year-old, I was listening to electronic music and listening to film music in a weird way. So that kind of rubbed off on me. And there was also, I think, the horror double bill in the 70s on a Saturday night when they were showing the classic universal horror movies, monster movies, or, you know, Christian the Black Lagoon or Bride of Frankenstein or Invisible Man and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And we were sharing, obviously, we were sharing the room, bunk beds in the room like brothers. And parents went to bed and I could stay up and watch these films. He'd put them on. Uh-huh. So he kind of got me into all this. So it's... It's David's fault that I'm, I've turned out the way I am today. And you can blame him, really. No, I'm gratified. I love my brother a lot. And, um, yeah, he he was one of those people like me in the 70s, like now. He was really interested in digging his fingers in anything new 
and voracious about anything new, different, kind of eerie, creepy music and film. And he was just like I turned out to be. So, mm. yeah, it's amazing, really. Uh, yeah. So if it wasn't for him, yeah, horror, I would have been doing them. But yeah, I love horror. Not so, so much up to date horror. I find it a bit boring, really. But I like a lot of old stuff, really. So, you know. Yeah, uh, you just mentioned on this topic, you know, something that came to mind right away. And uh, I remember watching American Werewolf in London uh, when yeah, I was. Yeah, they to a friend of mine. What's that? I was talking to a friend of mine about that film today. Oh, How really? Yeah, my friend John Whitaker, you know, who's a filmmaker, does a band called, uh, does a project called One Eye to See. <laughs> we were talking about that film, and I was saying about how shit the ending is because when you see the werewolf, it's really disappointing, you know. I didn't want to see the werewolf because it looks too cumbersome. I like when you don't see uh, that. You, know, you just see the transformation. But when you see the actual thing itself, it actually doesn't look... It looks like a really bad wax museum. <laughs> thing, you know, it doesn't look very but, good. You know? But you know what? Uh, uh, being a... Uh, I don't know. I, I want to say that movie came out in mid-'80s. I was 9, 10 years old watching that right. uh, at yeah. my friend's house, uh, you know, at 11 at night. Spent, you know, yeah. and just being scared to shit, you know. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> I was so freaked out by that movie, you know. Um, was it the part in the mirror that scared you the most? Oh, you know, it just the, the werewolf itself really scared me, and then the part where, uh, you know, where the guy, the, the his friend gets eaten by the uh, uh, by the werewolf the first time. You know Old how they walk, yeah. they leave the restaurant, they leave the bar, and yeah. then and then the, the werewolf attacks him. The guy who dies, his friend. And then he would right. occasionally come back, right? Yeah, and and, and it, right. slowly but sh- slowly he was deteriorating, and that's he right. was just uh, the more you know, as the movie goes on, goes on, the story goes on. He would he the more and more he would deteriorate, yeah. and he would that whole th- image would just freak me out, man. He would yeah, come it's back. <laughs> just it's a great film, you know. It's oh, a very good film, and, yeah. Anyways, but it's funny you mentioned the, the werewolf and. You know how how it looked like a wax museum, a bad wax, yeah. bad wax figure or something. Nowadays, if you look at it nowadays, it's like, oh, it looks shit. But like back uh, then, it looked believe it looked believable back then. You know. I, I see. I haven't seen it, you know, in years, but maybe I should go yeah. back and check it out. It just but, looks like someone's dog in the park. It doesn't even look remotely. Yeah. Uh, threatening that's all you know <laughs> uh, but yeah 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 no it's uh anyways but uh and then they remade that movie i want to say some you know, maybe in the 2000s i don't know if you recall yeah that was awful Man, yeah awful. <laughs> Parish, yeah what a load of shit i don't uh, know why they bothered to, to do that i didn't movie. yeah i didn't even it watch like, it it was awful it was just like the this follow-up to american psycho it was just pointless what's the point in making a film where the first film was really good so yeah yeah it wasn't very good so i don't know why they did some money and you know to, but it didn't work <laughs> i hear you i hear you mw so going back to to your your career your film career here and and uh everyone uh, laugh at leanne like again yeah. it's dark dark it's eerie the opening shot was was again you know uh, profound and so she she witnesses a murder right and and so was yeah. she delusional I, I i couldn't gather that much um um it's difficult to say because if anybody watches this podcast and they haven't seen the film it's going to spoil it isn't it so i was just thinking oh you know if i give it away oh i suppose you know it's just kind of a psychological thing that that's basically it with her it's like i like the audience to make up their own mind it's okay like house of lexi Gotcha. You know, I like that. A lot of films I'm doing now, 
it's not about the audience making up their own mind. They're like definite things that are happening at the end of the films, you know? Oh, okay. But even like being without, when you watch that film, is it Charlie's story? Is it Peter's story? You know, mm. uh, you're not, whose story is it? You know, and I like that when people have asked me that and said, whose story is that in the film? I'm not, you know, is it Harry's story or is it Isabel's? So that's the same with um, uh-huh. Leanne or that's the same with Lexi, you know, like you know, uh-huh. Emma Dark, you know. Um, you know, what, what at that end of that film, what happens? Yeah. I like leave, leaving it open and, uh, oh. you know, again, big shout out to Emma Dark. Emma Dark's amazing, you know, great in that film, very good, you know. So it's left, uh, left for open for interpretation, I guess, right? Yeah, I think open for interpretation in certain films is a good thing to, to have, yeah. Right. You're always going to be talking about it afterwards and it's better than just like the film finishes, that's done, let's go sort of eat, you know. Um, I like it when it's people are wrestling with the story a bit. It's, it's, I find okay. it interesting. I was just trying to get some insight, you know, but uh, no, I, I, that's good, man. That's. Uh... I'll, tell you, I'll tell you off, off audio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it's about. That's fine, no. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, Leanne played by Kerry Newton. Yeah, Kerry Newton, brilliant. Kerry Newton's amazing. Very, yeah, I was, yeah, absolutely. She's in a film that's coming up next year uh, that I'm doing. So, but yeah, uh, Kerry's great. You know, very powerful actress. You know, I've been lucky. You know, the actors I've worked with in the leading roles, whether it be Emma Dark, whether it be Charlene or Peter or uh, Charlotte Gould. Or Renee Skilson, or uh-huh. Tom, you know Tom Balsden, and then um, uh, Kerry Newton. All these people have got a really powerful uh, aspect to their acting, and you know it's very, really, you know, really gratified to work with them. You know they're great, all great, absolutely, and all the supporting cast are great as well. But yeah, Kerry's in the film next year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'll look out for that. It's probably going to be a bit controversial, I think. I've just cast it. It's the most full-on film I've ever done, I think. So, yeah, and it's not a horror film, but it's the most horrific film I've ever written. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see the it, it, public reaction to that film. And this is your film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a film coming up in October this year, like a psychological horror film, and a really kind of, I suppose it's an extreme drama, that's what you could call it. And that's coming up next year. Uh, not okay. sure when next year, but it's already written. I've already, I've already cast pretty much the whole film. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really good. Yeah, it's okay. a risky script. But let's say that you know I've never wrote a risky script before, but this is definitely risking it. And I thought, why not? You know, I want to try and do this. So fuck it, oh. I'm just going to try and do it. Oh, can't wait! Can't wait to see this. Can't wait. Yeah, it's definitely not a film that would be. Uh, associated with myself if people don't know me that well so oh. people wouldn't think that i would make a film like this so but i like to change quite a lot oh <laughs> i like I'm a bit chameleon like really but not for the sake of it i just like to try different ideas and stuff i'm interested in um and the film this year is quite a brutal kind of psychological horror it's a bit like leanne but okay a bit more full on than leanne you know and a bit different than that yes uh it's a different story so we're doing that in october um and you shot it already no 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 it's coming up in the end of october we're filming that okay filming a film myself doing like a halloween anthology with nikolai and john whittaker and we're doing three separate films we're doing that before um so there's two films coming up technically 
in October this year. And um, we already did like two other films this year. We did The Isolation Horrors, which was a collective uh, lockdown film we did. Where okay. it was Emma Dark, Richard Markworth, Nikolai Corner, John Whittaker, myself. And we collaborated to do five films all set around the lockdown thing, you know, for the COVID-19. Oh. And that was really good. You know, that was just a great film. Asked you that. Uh, it's on YouTube. And then we did a short film that Nikolai did the short film. Uh, he His film, uh, The Isolation Horrors, was Nikolai's film. We were like sort of guests on the film. Uh, and Nikolai also shot a film with me and John Whittaker called Keep Your Distance, which is like a three-minute film. So it's like a public information film about COVID. So it's like a film noir public information film that we okay. uh, shot uh, a couple of months ago. We just like, you know, we was in the pub chatting one day and Nikolai had come back from the toilet and he said, we're going to do a film. And I was like, really? You're joking? He said, I've got an idea. <laughs> and that was it. We went out and did a film and it was one of the best films I've seen. It was great, you know? So these things happen. So um, yeah. COVID hasn't bogged us down. It hasn't stopped us. You know, we're all active great. In, in doing stuff, you know? So... But um, yes, that's that's what's coming up, I suppose. Yeah, oh, that's, that's what's coming up film-wise, anyway. Yeah, no, no, I can't wait. I can't wait. And, and you, you write, you direct, you produce everything, right? And yeah. uh, that's amazing. It's not as a day job, though. I wish it was a day job, but I was gonna, go. I was gonna say you've you've kept your day job uh, all these years, huh? Yeah, because it's not really. I mean, when you said a career, I was thinking it was quite flattering. Really, I didn't actually ask you to change that, but. Um, <laughs> I suppose it is a career in the sense of like the determination and professionalism of me and everybody else that um, who are working on these films. But yeah, the day job funds all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, if it wasn't for the day job, oh yeah, yeah, we'd be able to do a lot of these films. Uh, the music I can do for free because I'm sitting here and I can just work and do music. But um, films is a bit different, really, because yeah. obviously it's a different thing. So yeah, yeah, the day job, um, you know. It's very gratified with that, you know. That's great. No, you got you got your own little arrangement, and that works. That works for you. Seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. There's some collaborations coming up, and doing a collaboration with John Whittaker, One Eye to See. So we've got something in the pipeline, um, and a few bits and pieces. Yeah, some stuff coming up, and I'm doing obviously the hip hop album and stuff like that, which is the newest thing I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that's the newest thing that's. It's coming up, you know. I've for been sure. Working on that for a while. And I wanted to get into that too, MW. But before I do that, I wanted to ask you, uh, tell us a little bit more about the two things: the film festivals that you've been entered in, and as well as your accolades, your, the awards you've won for your your films. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been quite a few film festivals. So being without got to the Gold Movie Awards, which is quite a prestigious movie awards in London. So it was like you know. Uh, it was a bizarre thing, really. It's uh -huh. like, you know, writing the scripts in my kind of tracksuit box in my room on a Sunday morning. And then, well, the germ of it, the germ of it that Sunday morning, working it out and then filming it and then wearing like a suit, like swigging champagne and being at awards ceremony with Nikolai and uh, Kesa, who's in, the who's in the film. And Kesa's a big part of my life and a big part of, all the films, like she's uh, oh. we, I don't know where we'll feel about Kesa, Kesa Martin, you know, she's she's brilliant, but um, so <clears throat> excuse me, it was very surreal to for my first professional film to be at a, 
quite a big award ceremony. But when we got to the American ones, I think it was called the Stormy Weather Fest. And um, okay. House of Lexi won, won three awards there. So best soundtrack, um, I think best soundtrack, best film and best cinematography. And that goes to Nikolai Cinematography. That's down to Nick's magic, not me. Uh-huh. Um, so that he awards for him. Um, but it was, you know, it was great. You know, it was great for that to happen. There's been a few things like the, the uh, Heyman Festival, which was out of Charlottesville, uh-huh. that played out, that played Lexi. There's a few places in America that played Lexi. It kind of took off a little bit in a weird way in the States. And, uh-huh. you know, Fangoria posted it one time as well, which is really nice. So, yeah, it was cool. You know, people caught on to that film. Yeah, congratulations on that. You there, MW? You kind of gone, you kind of gone a bit blurry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> oh, I was just saying congratulations yeah. on on that, on those uh, awards yeah, and all yeah. film festivals. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, they're still going, you know. So we're still sending. I'm still sending them to the film festivals, and you know, it's nice to get accepted and watch your film on a big screen. And yeah. It can be a bit embarrassing because you can see all the all the bits you want to change, and obviously <laughs> you're in front of, you know, you're sitting with all these people. But um, yeah, it's nice, you know. Being with that never got played that night, and um, Billy Zane was there that night, which was quite surreal. But mm. they were just playing like a, a couple of seconds of each film and not nominating everybody. But it was it was cool, you know, to see it on the big screen, see Charlotte and and Peter up there on the big screen. It was it was a massive for me, yeah. But it was difficult to put into words what I felt really. It was a massive achievement, you know. Of I was course. very proud of of all of us to do that, you know. Yeah. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, you know, like I said, I can't wait for your, your upcoming works. Uh your com- upcoming Thanks. films too, so you know. Yeah, it's you know, it's uh do about two a year, you know, so normally um I've just finished I've, well, I finished a comedy drama as well. Um so we're meant to do that next year. It's going to take a lot, long time to do that. And Charlotte Gould stars in that, who in um, Mind of Julianne and the last film I did, which was um, The Other Souls of Evie. And Charlotte's amazing, you know, very versatile, brilliant actress. So yeah. we're going to do that. It's a case of working out time, finances, how we're going to do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. But again, it's something different, you know. Um, which a comedy drama I've never done something like that before and it's again it's quite risky it's quite a risky script it's not um, <laughs> yeah it's quite uh, controversial again you know I think everything I'm doing is controversial lately really well like I said man I, I can't wait I can't wait and and you mentioned the album <laughs> of course of course uh, you mentioned the album that you're working on a hip-hop album MW, tell yeah. us, uh, tell, uh, do tell us about that a little bit. I, and I, I've had uh, Renegade, the rapper, on here. Renegade's great. Yeah, yeah she's a phenomenal woman. She's really great, young woman, uh, super talented, and yeah, she's a she's a hero, man. You know, yeah, she's great and yeah, seriously talented, amazing. She should, you know, well, she should be massive in a couple of years, and you know, she should be winning awards. You know, she's. I, I told her to remember bad. me. Because I want yeah, to go to the Grammys, I, I want to go to the Grammys. Exactly, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she's, yeah, I was, um, you know, I was kind of working on some music one day when I was in when this lockdown started, and um, yeah, basically, I kind of, um, 
I think I just had a change of heart. I was doing kind of just dark ambient music. Something had changed. I remember going downstairs to get some food, come back up, and I thought I want to make a, a hip-hop album, and I want to make a female hip-hop album. So I did that, and I just started to contact people um, on Instagram. So I was wow. the first place I kind of contacted was Africa and Mexico. They were the first two places. I wasn't even interested in the UK at that point, or the USA, or Canada. Oh. I was more interested in other places, you know? So Mexico was the first place. Well, Africa was the first place. Wow. And, you know, straight away there was people coming on board and people getting involved. And, um, yeah, it suddenly started to open up, you know? And I found Renegade the Rapper, you know, corresponded with her. Mm. And, you know, sent her a couple of tracks. And she did the two tracks and phenomenal, you know, they're amazing. And um, Power Heist, right? Was to do a... the... Power Heist, yeah. See, it, Power Heist is in the new film. So that in the new film, there's, right. there's a, a hip-hop track playing at a point in the film. I'm not going to tell you about it because it was spoiled the film, actually. But, <laughs> you know, originally I started it with everybody kind of trying to do a track for a film. But in the end, I had like 30 people and 30 tracks i was thinking i've kind of got you know i've got myself in deep here i've got to kind of come clean a little bit so i kind of <laughs> you know yeah i kind of turned it into this like album and it was a criminology psychological criminology exercise of the female mind which i've always been interested in and um so it started with like bank heists and like espionage and that kind of stuff and i think as april went along I wanted to change that. I wanted I wanted stuff to was to do with like human rights, to to do with like Islamophobia, to do with xenophobia, to do with bullying uh, uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff, women's rights and that, uh, you know. So I, I wanted to change the album, and I changed the album. And I had twice as many people jump on board once I was mentioning these new subjects. Uh, so everybody was jumping on board. So a lot of rappers from Saudi Arabia. Wow. So people were just in straight away you know which was amazing a lot of spoken word poets as well wow so it was great you know but i was thinking i wasn't sure whether to put you know bank heist tracks on an album where people talking about human rights because they might not like that they might think hey you know this is a bit kind of negative you know what's that to do with the human psyche but you know the album's called ideologies so i was thinking of doing an ep called criminologies but you know, fuck it. I might just. I'm going to put everybody on the albums. I'm going to do two albums uh, because oh. I've got way too many tracks now. Because it's become an addiction. Which <laughs> I don't know when. To, I can't stop doing this. Uh, so <laughs> I've got to get to the point where I've got. I've got 12 songs now, but I want to get another 15 songs. You know, you know, back from people. Yeah. And it will be done. But um, yeah, I mean, Queen D was the first person to send me the track. Uh, once she sent me a, a song. That I did the music for amazing, you know. First time I've heard of anybody rap over my music, and it was a big buzz, you know. Wow, that's um, awesome! So hopefully the album's out next year. Yeah, we're going to put it out. Okay, maybe March next year. That, that's the plan, anyway. There's uh-huh. still a lot to do. Yeah, but the tracks are sounding good. There's some really good stuff going on. Some, you know, everybody's great. You know, like, you know, everybody's great on. You know, from Queen D to like Sadia B to really good to rapper uh wonder yanda uh who else is there like combat pretty is on there mama boo is on there um there's some great people on there you know lolo uh, lolo someone i'm working with at the moment she's a rapper from london Uh uh-huh and she's 
phenomenally talented, you know, and I'm working with her mm. at the moment. And, um, and Clara R, who's a Muslim rapper, Ambitious Egyptian, who's a Muslim rapper, Medusa from Saudi Arabia. So, so many people have come on board. It, it just felt like this cult after <laughs> a while. You really? Know? Yeah, I kind of felt like, um, like, the, like um, the guy out of the following, you know. <laughs> it felt quite strange, all these people <laughs> gathered onto this album. So it was quite an amazing feeling. But it's a very positive album, like. Even Power Heist, you know, Power Heist is about, you know, a woman emanating power. It's not about particularly like hurting someone and stuff like that. But it's, you know, you right. can hear Renegade's lyrics and she's pushing out power. Yes. In there, you know, pushing out confidence and power mm-hmm. and like, you know, she doesn't give a shit. And that's what that's <laughs> what it's all about. You know, I love that. Yeah. It was all about that. You know, it was about like, you know, sort of just coming out from. Um, sure from out of the corner when people do that to to so many people in music and stuff you know it was like there's no holds bar the shackles are off you know exactly no i like that i like the way you describe that that particular song emanating confidence and you know she's a woman no holds bar she's not taking prisoners it's it's just she's uh, not no she's she's really good you know yeah and her own music's great i mean i listen to that track why that you were talking about with her that's quite a deep song you know yeah, uh, that she yeah. does, you know? and um, yeah, she does. She's she's very talented, you know. And but yeah, I hope she remembers us when she gets big. Right, I'm exactly. It's also a, a lady called uh, Naz on the album, not Nas, uh, called Naz Nazira, another Muslim rapper. And, oh, okay. Uh, she's done a track and a bit controversial, which is great. And uh, you know, so there's lots of lots of different people. Um, I think I'll still be doing it this time next year, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it out. We will come out. So. Well, yeah. well, we'll definitely be looking for that, MW. Thanks, man, you know. For sure. to hear it all. No, no, no. It's, uh, but, um, so before we wrap things up, uh, MW, I wanted to ask you, and I, what, um, I, I like to ask serious artists this question, you know. Well, what is it that, um, how do you get yourself – in that creative mode, you know, where you're, you're just, uh, you know, what is it? How do you inspire? How, how do you get inspired? You know, to, to create it is it something before you sit down and write something or produce something or create, is there something that you do or maybe a self ritual or that, that gets you that really sparks those, uh, your imagination? How do you do, what do you do for yourself? Um, I think it's, it could be anything. It's very difficult. I suppose, you know, the music or film, they're two separate kind of entities. But, you know, I mean, I don't watch films to make films. Um, I kind of, I like books and I like art and stuff like that. So, you know, and conversations are for me a lot. And chance meetings and things that happen in the street, mm. you know. For the film I've just finished, literally it was a chance thing that happened in the street that spurred the idea when I wrote the script. So that things sort of just happen like that. I see. You know? I'm thinking this is this inspirational moment. Like right now, you know, what's happened here? And on the bus journey home, I was just thinking it's that light bulb moment where you're thinking I've got a story. Yeah. And that's that's what happens. And music's the same, you know. Music's, you could be tinkering around and experimenting. But normally, there's this kind of invisible inspiration. It's hard to describe, really. There's something there that comes out. Possibly it could be a spiritual thing. I'm not sure. But it's this thing that comes out, you know. It's a... Uh-huh be an out of body thing I'm, I'm not sure I'm, that knows it sounds a bit crazy really but <laughs> no that's what it's like when i kind of do music you know it's it's like it's already 
pre-programmed and it's already coming out and you know it's it's very odd uh-huh. the way that works and sometimes like today i was kind of struggling to make some stuff and yesterday it was easy so you get days like that i mean i've made like 100 tracks since march so for me wow. you kind of will get writer's block at one point but i think yeah, yeah i think just life itself inspires you know but i like art a lot i think art inspires and mm. you know, other other people inspire me you know whether just I like interviews with people. I like watching interviews with, with people in films more than I like watching their films. You know, right. more interested in, in that, that and what they got to say and yes. their influences and their inspirations. And I, I kind of like that, you know, writers and stuff, rather than read their books, I rather watch an interview with, with them. I find that really inspirational. Mm. I'm doing that for being without. So, watching a lot of J.G. Ballard interviews, the science fiction writer. And, oh. um, that really inspired me and being without it's not a science fiction film in any way whatsoever, but still he just sort of inspired me for some strange way. I don't know what it was, but you know, yeah. so that's, you know, but yes, yeah, good question. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an interesting yeah. what, what each individual inspires them to do what they do, you know? Right. Right. Of course. And, and does it, would you say it comes easy for you to, to, to when you, when you want to start, when you actually sit down and start working on something it, does, does that stuff come easy for you to create? Um, yes and no, really. It's like the blank canvas thing, as someone said. Someone famous said that about the fear of the blank blank canvas, you know? Yeah. Start something. You know, but for me, you know, it is about the beauty of nothing being there at one point and then something's there, you know? That's, that's the whole reason I do this. It's like a blank piece of paper and then there's a drawing on it. And for me... That's the same as when I was a kid. It's the same fascination of when I was five years old and, you know, drawing sharks and stuff and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's nothing there and there's something there. It's literally that fascination hasn't left me. And at 50 years old, like, you know, 45 years later, it's exactly the same thing for me. Mm. Like there wasn't anything. Now there's something that's being, being created, being constructed or has been being created. And that for me is just, that's it. That's amazing, you know. I love that. But it's, I, I, it's not really a struggle because I don't sit there and try and think of anything um, for the sake of it. If I've got nothing to say in a film or music, I won't do it, you know. So there has to be yeah. something that comes. Otherwise, there's no, there's no point. But there's always bits flying around, and it's like you compile stuff that's in your mind. Maybe, you know, it's like jigsaw. That's the way it works sometimes, yeah, you know? Right. You know, that's the way it is. So being without could be loads of different films, but it just so happens to come together as that film. And that's that's how it works with, with, with me, really. I kind of um, work it like that. And, um, yeah, but there's nothing to say. I think Scott Walker famously said that. And, you know, love Scott Walker. He's not with us anymore, but mm. the greatest genius is one of the greatest singers. He said, you know, if there's nothing to do, if I've got if I've got no, nothing to say, there's no point in me being around. That's why you know people say, why you're a recluse. You say I'm not a recluse, but if there's nothing to say, what's the point of me being around? <laughs> so I kind of I feel that to that point, musically and film wise, you know, if you know if I want to take a break and do some stuff, but yeah, I've just continually got stuff going on for some reason. I don't know why that is. It's just um, I don't feel I'm in that much of control of it. It's just stuff that's whirling around in my mind. Gotcha. And uh, it's telling me to do the films, do the music, you know, and be creative and do this stuff. Tell the know. stories. Oh. Yeah, you're not getting you're not getting any younger. I think that's what my mind's telling me. 
I'm I'm in a similar place. I'm in a similar place, John. Uh, you know, where you know I want to. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed the the performing arts, MW. Uh, yeah. I've, I've always loved the, the behind the scenes of, of how things get done, how movies are made, how, you know, um, music is produced, all that good stuff. And yeah. the performances themselves, is, of course, but I've always been, uh, it's always been inspirational to me. And I've always wanted, I've, I've, I've done some acting in the past and, um, mm. you know, so yeah, here I am uh, 43 years old and trying to, um, you I know, just a youngster, basically. Uh, no well yeah like i said i'm not getting any younger and i'd rather say i I, I, at least i tried than uh, i wish i had you know so uh, this is something that's always uh, been in my heart and i'm I'm fulfilling that now you know before it's too late exactly it's like the inspiration from other people is it's a big deal you know it is a big deal and um for me you know it's yeah it's other people you know, I love a singer called Um Kalthorn, who was an Arabic singer, Egyptian singer, and she's one of my favourite ever singers. So even listening to her music, you know, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. You know, it just inspires me to do, to inspires you to live life itself, even if you're kind of feeling down. You know, so so he brought home an album in 1977 by a, a Japanese electronic composer called uh, Tomita, and Tomita was doing like versions, electronic versions of classical. Um, classical classics, you know, Mazursky wow. and all this kind of stuff, and Debussy, and he did all this stuff as well. But he did um, Firebird by one of my that's one of my favourites by uh, Igor Stravinsky. I didn't know Stravinsky when I was seven, but oh. man, when he put on <laughs> this record, I was like, blew my mind. But then in 1979, he brought home another Tomita album called the Bermuda Triangle, and it was original composition compositions. Tomita wasn't doing any classical uh, variations of other people's music anymore. And I remember he put the cover up in the room uh, and then we left the room and I was looking at the cover, listening to the music as a nine-year-old, and that was it. I, I blew my mind. That and the Star Wars soundtrack the year before <laughs> and going to see Star Wars. So for me, yeah, as a seven, eight-year-old, I was listening to electronic music and listening to film music in a weird way. So that kind of rubbed off on me. And there was also a thing called the Horror Double Bill in the 70s on a Saturday night when they were showing the classic Universal horror movies, monster movies, or, you know, Christian the Black Lagoon or Bride of Frankenstein or Invisible Man and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And we were sharing, obviously, we were sharing the room, bunk beds in the room like brothers. And parents went to bed and I could stay up and watch these films. He'd put them on. So uh-huh. he kind of got me into all this. So it's... It's David's fault that I'm, I've turned out the way I am today. So you can blame him, really. No, I'm gratified. I love my brother a lot. And, um, yeah, he he was one of those people like me in the 70s, like now. He was really interested in digging his fingers in anything new and voracious about anything new, different, kind of eerie, creepy music and film. And he was just like I turned out to be. So, mm. yeah. It's amazing, really. Uh, yeah. So if it wasn't for him, yeah, horror, I would have been doing them. But yeah, I love horror. Not so, so much up-to-date horror. I find it a bit boring, really. But I like a lot of old stuff, really. So You know, yeah, it, uh, you just mentioned on this topic, you know, something that came to mind right away. And, uh, I remember watching American Werewolf in London uh, when yeah, I was... Yeah, they talked about that. Right? So a friend of mine. What's that? 
I was talking to a friend of mine about that film today. Oh, really? Yeah, my friend John Whitaker, you know, who's a filmmaker that does a band called, uh, does a project called One Eye to See. (laughs) We were talking about that film and I was saying about how shit the ending is because when you see the werewolf, it's really disappointing, you know. I didn't want to see the werewolf because it looks too cumbersome. I like when you don't see Uh. that. You just see the transformation. When you see the actual thing itself, it actually doesn't look. It looks like a really bad wax museum. <laughs> thing, you know, it doesn't look very but, good. You know? But you know what? Uh, uh, being a, uh, I don't know. I, I want to say that movie came out in mid '80s. I was nine, ten years old watching that right. uh, at yeah. my friend's house. Uh, you know, at eleven at night. Spent, you know, yeah. and just being scared to shit. You know, oh man. Yeah, I was so freaked out by that movie, you know. Um, was it the part in the mirror that scared you the most? Oh, you know, it just the, the werewolf itself really scared me, and then the part where, uh, you know, where the guy, the his friend gets eaten by the uh, uh, by the werewolf the first time. You know how they walk, they yeah. leave the restaurant, they leave the bar, and yeah. then and then the, the werewolf attacks him. The guy who dies, his friend, and then he would right. occasionally come back, right? Yeah, and and, and it, right. slowly but sh- slowly he was deteriorating, and that's he right. was just uh, the more you know, as the movie goes on, goes on, the story goes on. He would he the more and more he would deteriorate, yeah. and he would that whole th- image would just freak me out, man. He would yeah, come back. <laughs> just it's a great film, you know. Oh, uh, and yeah. Anyways, but it's funny you mentioned the, the werewolf and. You know how how he looked like a wax museum, a bad wax, yeah. bad wax figure or something. Nowadays, if you look at it nowadays, it's like, God, it looks shit. But like back uh, then, it looked, believe- it looked believable back then, you know? I, I see. I haven't seen it you know, in years, but maybe I should go yeah. back and check it out. It just but, looks like someone's dog in the park. It doesn't even look remotely yeah. uh, threatening at all, you know? Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh. Anyways, but uh, and then they remade that movie. I want to say some year, maybe in the two thousands. I don't know if you recall. Yeah, that was awful. Man, yeah, Parish. Yeah, what a load of shit. I don't uh, know why they bothered to, to do that. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even it watch like, it. It was awful. It was just like the the follow up to American Psycho. It was just pointless. What's the point in making a film where the first film was really good? So yeah, yeah, it wasn't very good. So I don't know why they did American some money. And you know, to, but it didn't work. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you, M.W. And so going back to to your your career, your film career here, and and uh, everyone uh, laugh at Leanne. Like again, yeah. it's dark, dark. It's eerie. The opening shot was was again, you know, uh, profound. And so she she witnesses a murder, right? And and so was yeah. she delusional? I I couldn't gather that much. Um, um it's difficult to say because if anybody watches this podcast and I haven't seen the film it's going to spoil it isn't it so I was just thinking oh you know if I give it away oh I suppose you know it's just kind of a psychological thing that's that's basically it with her it's like I like the audience to make up their own mind it's okay like House of Lexi gotcha you know I like that a lot of films I'm doing now it's not about the audience making up their own mind they're like definite things of happening at the end of the films you know oh okay but even like being without when you watch that film is it Charlie's story is it Peter's story? You know, mm. uh, you're not whose story is it? You know, and I like that when people have asked me that and said, whose story is that in the film? I'm not, you know, is it Harry's story or is it Isabel's? So that's the same with um, uh-huh. Leanne, or that's the same with Lexi. You know, like you know uh-huh. Emma Dark. You know, um, you know what? What at that end of that film? What happens? Yeah, I like the 
leaving it open. And, uh, you know, again, big shout out to Emma Dark. Emma Dark's amazing, you know, great in that film. Very good, you know. So it's left uh, left for open for interpretation, I guess, right? Yeah, I think open for interpretation in certain films is a good thing to to have. Yeah, right. you're always going to be talking about it afterwards, and it's better than just like the film finishes, that's done, let's go sort of eat. You know, um, I like it when it's people are wrestling with the story a bit. It's, it's, I find okay. it interesting. I was just trying to get some insight, you know, but uh, no, I, I, that's good, man. That's uh... I'll tell you, I'll tell you off. Off audio. Yeah. <laughs> That's, what it's about. That's fine. No. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, Leanne played by Carrie Newton. Yeah, Carrie Newton. Brilliant. Carrie Newton's amazing. Very, yeah. I was, yeah absolutely. She's in a film that's coming up next year uh, that I'm doing. So, but yeah, uh, Carrie's great. You know, very powerful actress. You know, I've been lucky. You know, the actors I've worked with in the leading roles, whether it be Emma Dark, whether it be Charlene or Peter or uh, Charlotte Gould or Renee Skilson or uh-huh. Tom, you know, Tom Balsden and then um, uh, Kerry Newton. All these people have got a really powerful uh, aspect to their acting and, you know, it's really, you know, really gratified to work with them. You know, they're great, all great. Absolutely. And all the supporting cast are great as well. But yeah, Kerry's in the film next year, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll look out for that. It's probably going to be a bit controversial, I think. I've just cast it. It's the most full-on film I've ever done, I think. So, yeah. And it's not a horror film, but it's the most horrific film I've ever written. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see and, the and, public reaction to that film. And this is your film? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a film coming up in October this year, like a psychological horror film. And a really kind of, I suppose it's an extreme drama, that's what you could call it. And that's coming up next year. Uh, not okay. sure when next year, but it's already written. I've already, I've already cast pretty much the whole film. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really good. Yeah, it's okay. a risky script. But let's say that you know, I never wrote a risky script before, but this is definitely risking it. And I thought, why not? You know, I want to try and do this. So fuck it, oh. I'm just going to try and do it. Oh, can't wait! Can't wait to see this. Can't wait. Yeah, it's definitely not a film that would be. Uh, associated with myself if people don't know me that well so oh. people wouldn't think that I would make a film like this so but I like to change quite a lot oh. <laughs> I like, I'm a bit chameleon like really but not for the sake of it I just like to try different ideas and stuff I'm interested in um, and the film this year is quite a brutal kind of psychological horror it's a bit like Leanne but okay. a bit more full on than Leanne you know and a bit different than that yes uh, it's a different story so we're doing that in october um and you shot it already no 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 it's coming up in the end of october we're filming that uh, okay filming a film myself doing like a halloween anthology with nikolai and john whittaker and we're doing three separate films so we're doing that before um so there's two films coming up technically in october this year and um we already did like two other films this year we did the isolation horrors which was a collective uh, lockdown film we did where okay. it was Emma Dark, Richard Markworth Nikolai Cornan John Whittaker, myself and we collaborated to do five films all set around the lockdown thing, you know, for the COVID-19 Oh, and that was really good, you know, that was it's a great film, asked you that uh, it's on YouTube and then we did a short film that Nikolai did the short film uh, He his film uh 
the isolation drivers was Nicola's film. We were like sort of guests on the film. Uh, and Nicola also shot a film with me and John Whitaker called Keep Your Distance, which is like a three minute film. So it's like a public information film about COVID. So it's like a film noir, public information film that okay. we uh, shot uh, a couple of months ago. We just like, you know, we was in the pub chatting one day and Nicola had come back from the toilet and he said, we're going to do a film. I was like, really? You're joking? He said, I've got an idea. And that was it. We went out and did a film, and it was one of the best films I've seen. It was great, you know? So these things happen. So um, yeah. COVID hasn't bogged us down. It hasn't stopped us. You know, we're all active great. in in doing stuff, you know? So, but, um, yes, that, that's what's coming up, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a... what's coming up film-wise, anyway. Yeah. No, no, I can't wait. I can't wait. And, and you, you write, you direct, you produce everything. All right, and yeah. uh, that's amazing. It's not as a day job, though. I wish it was a day job, but I was gonna. Go. I was gonna say you've you've kept your day job uh, all these years, huh? Yeah, because it's not really. I mean, when you said a career, I was thinking that was quite flattering. Really, I didn't actually ask you to change that, but um, <laughs> I suppose it is a career in the sense of like the determination and professionalism of me and everybody else that um, who are working on these films. But yeah, the day job funds all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, if it wasn't for the day job, oh yeah, yeah, we'll be able <laughs> to do a lot of these films. Uh, the music I can do for free because I'm sitting here and I can just work and do music. But um, films is a bit different, really, because yeah. obviously it's a different thing. So yeah, yeah, the day job, I'm, you know, it's very gratified with that. You know, that's great. No, you got you got your own little arrangement and that works that works for you see yeah 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 totally totally mm-hmm. there's some collaborations coming up and doing a collaboration with john whittaker one eye to see so we've got something in the pipeline um and a few bits and pieces yeah some stuff coming up and i'm doing obviously the hip-hop album and stuff like that which is the newest thing i'm doing yeah, yeah. and that's the that's the newest thing that's that's coming up you know i've for been sure. working on that for a while and I wanted to get into that too, MW, but before I do that, I wanted to ask you, uh, tell us a little bit more about the two things, the film festivals that you've been entered in, and as well as your accolades, your, the awards you've won for your, your films. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been quite a few film festivals, so being without, got to the Gold Movie Awards, which is quite a prestigious movie awards in London, so it was like, you know, uh, it was a bizarre thing, really. It's uh-huh. like, you know, writing the scripts in my kind of tracksuit bottoms in my room on a Sunday morning. And then, well, the germ of it, the germ of it that Sunday morning, working it out and then filming it and then wearing like a suit, like swigging champagne and being at award ceremony with Nikolai and uh, Kesa, who's in, the fi- who's in the film. And Kesa's a big part of my life and a big part of all the films. Like she's, uh, oh. we, I don't know where we'll feel about Kesa. Kesa Martin, you know, she's she's brilliant. But um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, it was very surreal to, for my first professional film to be at a, quite a big award ceremony. But when we got to the American ones, I think it was called the Stormy Weather Fest. And um, okay. House of Lexi won, won three awards there. So best soundtrack, um, best soundtrack, best film and best cinematography and that goes to Nikolai cinematography. That's down to Nick's magic, not me. Wow. Um, so that he awards for him. Um, but it was, you know, it was great. You know, it was great for that to happen. There's been a few things like the, the uh, Heyman Festival, which was at Charlottesville. Uh-huh. 
that played out that played Lexi. There's a few places in America that played Lexi. It kind of took off a little bit in a weird way in the States. And, uh-huh. you know, Fangoria posted it one time as well, which is really nice. So, yeah, it was cool. You know, people caught on to that film. Yeah, congratulations on that. You there, MW? You kind of got- you kind of got a bit blurry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> oh, I was to say congratulations yeah. on 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 those uh, awards yeah, and all yeah. film festivals. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, they're still going, you know. So we're still sending. I'm still sending them to the film festivals, and you know, it's nice to get accepted and watch a film on a big screen. And yeah, it can be a bit embarrassing because you can see all the all the bits you want to change, and obviously <laughs> you're in front of, you know, you're sitting with all these people. But um, yeah, it's nice, you know. Being with that never got played that night, and um, Billy Zane was there that night, which was quite surreal. But mm. they were just playing like a, t- a couple of seconds of each film and not nominating everybody. But it was it was cool, you know, to see it on the big screen, see Charlotte and and Peter up there on the big screen. It was it was a massive for me. Yeah, it was difficult putting the words what I felt. Really, it was a massive achievement. You know, of I was course. very proud of of all of us to do that. You know, yeah, no, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, you know, like I said, I can't wait for your, your upcoming works, uh, your com- upcoming Thanks, films man. too. So, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, do about two a year, you know. So normally, um, I've just finished, I've, well, I finished a comedy drama as well. Um, so we're meant to do that next year. But it's going to take a lot, long time to do that. And Charlotte Gould starred in that, who in um, Mind of Julianne and, the last film I did, which was um, The Other Souls of Evie, and Charlotte's amazing, you know, very versatile, brilliant actress, so yeah. we're going to do that, in case of working out time, finances, how we're going to do it, um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but again, it's something different, you know, um, which a comedy drama, I've never done something like that before, and it's again, it's quite risky, it's quite a risky script, it's not... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's quite uh, controversial. Again, you know, I think everything I'm doing is controversial lately, really. Well, like I said, man, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. And and you mentioned the album, <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, you mentioned the album that you're working on a hip hop album. Mw, tell yeah. us, uh, tell, uh, do tell us about that a little bit. I, and I, I've had uh, Renegade, the rapper, on here. Renegade's great. Yeah, yeah she's a phenomenal woman. She's really great young woman of. Uh, Super talented and yeah, she's a she's a hero, man. You know, yeah, great and yeah, seriously talented, amazing. She should, you know, well, she should be massive in a couple of years, and you know, she should be winning awards. You know, she's. I, I told her to remember that. me because I yeah, want to go to the Grammys. I want to go to the Grammys. Exactly, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she's, yeah, I was, um, you know, I was kind of working on some music one day when I was in, when this lockdown started and, um, yeah, basically I kind of, um, I think I just had a change of part. I was doing kind of just dark ambient music. Suddenly it changed. I remember going downstairs to get some food, come back up and I thought I want to make a, a hip hop album and I want to make a female hip hop album. So I did that and I just started to contact people, um, on Instagram. So I was wow. the first place I kind of contacted was Africa. Mexico, they were the first two places. I wasn't even interested in the UK at that point, or the USA or Canada. Oh, I was more interested in other places, you know. So, Mexico was the first place. Well, Africa was the first place, 
Wow. And, you know, straight away there was people coming on board and people getting involved. And, um, yeah, it suddenly started to open up, you know, and I found Renegade the Rapper, you know, corresponded with her mm. and, you know, sent her a couple of tracks and she did the two tracks and phenomenal, you know, they're amazing. And, um, Power Heist, right? Was to do a, Power Heist, yeah. See, it, Power Heist is in the new film. So that in the new film, there's, right. there's a, a hip-hop track playing at a point in the film. I'm not going to tell you about it because it was spoiled the film, actually. But, <laughs> you know, originally I started with everybody kind of trying to do a track for a film. But in the end, I had like 30 people and 30 tracks. I was thinking, I've kind of got, you know, I've got myself in deep here. I've got, I've got kind of come clean a little bit. So I kind of... <laughs> You know, yeah, I kind of turned it into this like album, and it was a criminology, psychological criminology exercise of the female mind, which I've always been interested in. And um, so it started with like bank heists and like espionage and that kind of stuff. And I think as April went along, I wanted to change that. I wanted I wanted stuff that was to do with like human rights, to to do with like Islamophobia, to do with xenophobia to do with bullying and, uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff, women's rights and that, you know? So I, I wanted to change the album and I changed the album and I had twice as many people jump on board once I was mentioning these new subjects. Uh, so everybody was jumping on board. So a lot of rappers from Saudi Arabia. Wow. So people were just in straight away, you know, which was amazing. A lot of spoken word poets as well. Wow. So it was great, you know? But I was thinking I wasn't sure whether to put you know, bank heist tracks on an album where people are talking about human rights because they might not like that. They might think, hey, you know, this is a bit kind of negative, you know, what's that to do with the human psyche? But, you know, the album's called Ideologies. So I was thinking of doing an EP called Criminologies. But, you know, fuck it. I might just, I'm going to put everybody on the albums. I'm going to do two albums uh, because oh. I've got way too many tracks now because it's become an addiction. Of, <laughs> I don't know when to, I can't stop doing this. Uh, <laughs> I've got to get to a point where I've got I've got twelve songs now, but I want to get another fifteen songs, you know, you know, back from people, yeah, and it will be done. But um, yeah, I mean, Queen D was the first person to send me the track. Uh, once she sent me a, a song that I did the music for, amazing, you know, first time I've heard of anybody rap over my music, and it was a big buzz, you know. Wow, that's um, awesome. So hopefully, the album's out next year. Yeah, we're going to put it out. Okay, maybe. March next year. That, that's the plan, anyway. There's uh-huh. still a lot to do, yeah. But the tracks are sounding good. There's some really good stuff going on. Some, you know, everybody's great. You know, like, you know, everybody's great on, you know, from Queen D to like Sadia B to Renegade the Rapper, uh, Wanda Yanda. Uh, who else is there? Like Combat Pretty is on there. Mama Boo is on there. Um, there's some great people on there. You know, wow. Lolo. Uh, Lolo's someone I'm working with at the moment. She's a rapper from London. Uh-huh. And she's phenomenally talented, you know, and I'm working with her mm. at the moment. And um, and Clara R, who's a Muslim rapper, Ambitious Egyptian, who's a Muslim rapper, Medusa from Saudi Arabia. So, so many people have come on board. It, it just felt like this cult <laughs> for a while. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, I kind of felt like... Um, like the like um, the guy out of the following, you know, it felt quite strange. All these people <laughs> gathered onto this album, so it was quite an amazing feeling. But it's a very positive album. Like even Power Heist, you know, Power Heist is about 
you know, a woman emanating power. It's not about particularly like hurting someone and stuff like that, but it's, you know, you right. can hear Renegade's lyrics and she's pushing out power. Yes. There, you know, pushing out confidence and power mm-hmm. and like, you know, she doesn't give a shit. And that's what, that's <laughs> what it's all about. You know, I love that. Yeah. It was all about that. It was about like, you know, sort of just coming out from, um, sure. from out of the corner when people do that to, to so many people in music and stuff, you know, it was like, there's no holds bar. The shackles are off, you know? Exactly. No, I like that. I like the way you describe that, that particular song emanating confidence and, you know, she's a woman, no holds bar. She's not taking prisoners. It's it's just, she's uh, not, no, she's she's really good. Yeah. And her own music's great. I mean, I listened to that track, why that you were talking about with a, that's quite a deep song, you know? Yeah, that yeah. she does, yeah. and um, yeah, she does. She's she's very talented, you know. And but yeah, I hope she remembers us when she gets big. Right, I'm exactly. Really There's also a lady called uh, Naz on the album, not Nas, uh, called Naz Nazira, another Muslim rapper. And, oh, okay. Uh, she's done a track and a bit controversial, which is great. And uh, you know, so there's lots of lots of different people. Um, I think I'll still be doing it this time next year, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it out. It will come out. So. Well, yeah. well, we'll definitely be looking for that, MW. Thanks, man, you know. For sure. to hear it all. No, no, no. It's, uh, but, um, so before we wrap things up, uh, MW, I wanted to ask you, what, um, I'd like to ask serious artists this question, you know. Well, what is it that, um, how do you get yourself in that creative mode, you know, where you're, you're just, uh, you know, what is it? How do you inspire? How, how do you get inspired, you know, to, to create it? Is it something before you sit down and write something or produce something or create, is there something that you do or maybe a self ritual or that, that gets you, that really sparks those, uh, your imagination? How do you do, what do you do for yourself? Um, I think it's, it could be anything. It's very difficult. I suppose, you know, the music or film, they're two separate kind of entities. But, you know, I mean, I don't watch films to make films. Um, I kind of, I like books and I like art and stuff like that. So, you know, and conversations are for me. A lot of chance meetings and things that happen in the street, mm. you know, for the film I've just finished. Literally, it was a chance thing that happened in the street that spurred the idea when I wrote the script. So that things sort of just happen like that. I see. You know? I'm thinking this is this inspirational moment. Like right now, you know, what's happened here? And on the bus journey home, I was just thinking it's that light bulb moment where you're thinking I've got a story. Yeah. And that's that's what happens. And music's the same, you know, music's you could be tinkering around and experimenting. But normally there's this kind of invisible inspiration. It's hard to describe really. There's something there that comes out. Possibly it could be a spiritual thing, I'm not sure, but it's this thing that comes out, you know, it's uh uh-huh be an out of body thing I'm, I'm not sure that knows it sounds a bit crazy really but <laughs> no that's what it's like when i kind of do music you know it's it's like it's already pre-programmed and it's already coming out and you know it's it's very odd uh-huh. the way that works and sometimes like today i was kind of struggling to make some stuff and yesterday it was easy so you get days like that i mean i've made like 100 tracks since march so for me wow. you kind of will get right as block at one point but i think yeah, yeah i think just life itself inspires you know but i like art a lot i think art inspires and mm. you know, other other people inspire me you know whether just i like interviews with people i like watching interviews with with people in films more than i like watching their films 
you know, right. more interested in, in that, that and what they got to say yes. and their influences and their inspirations. And I, I kind of like that, you know, writers and stuff, rather than read their books, I rather watch an interview with, with them. I find that really inspirational. Mm. I do that for being without. So watching a lot of J.G. Ballard interviews, the science fiction writer. And, oh. um, that really inspired me. And being without is not a science fiction film in any way whatsoever. But still, he just sort of inspired me for some strange way. I don't know what it was, but, you know. Yeah. So that's, you know. But yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting yeah. what, what each individual inspires them to do what they do, you know. Right, right. Of course. And does it... Would you say it comes easy for you to, to, to when you when you want to start when you actually sit down and start working on something? Does, does, does that stuff come easy for you to create? Um, yes and no, really. It's like the blank canvas thing, as someone said. Someone famous said that about the fear of the blank blank canvas. You know, yes, yeah. start something. You know, but for me, you know, it is about the beauty of nothing being there at one point, and then something's there. You know. That's that's the whole reason I do this. It's like a blank piece of paper, and then there's a drawing on it. And for me, that's the same as when I was a kid. It's the same fascination of when I was five years old, and you know, drawing sharks and stuff, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, there's nothing there, and there's something there. It's literally that fascination hasn't left me. And at 50 years old, like you know, 45 years later, it's exactly the same thing for me. Mm. Like there wasn't anything. Now there's something that's being, being created, being constructed, or has been being created, and that for me is just that's it. That's amazing, you know. I love that, but it's I, I, it's not really a struggle because I don't sit there and try and think of anything um, for the sake of it. If I've got nothing to say in a film or music, I won't do it, you know. So there has to be yeah. something that comes. Otherwise, there's no there's no point. But there's always bits flying around, and it's like you compile stuff that's in your mind. Maybe, you know, it's like jigsaw. That's the way it works sometimes, yeah, you know? Right. You know, that's the way it is. So being without could be loads of different films, but it just so happens to come together as that film. And that's that's how it works with, with, with me, really. I kind of um, work it like that. And, um, yeah, but there's nothing to say. I think Scott Walker famously said that. And, you know, love Scott Walker. He's not with us anymore, but mm. the greatest genius is one of the greatest singers. He said, you know, if there's nothing to do, if I've got if I've got nothing to say, there's no point in me being around. That's why you know people say, why you're a recluse. You say I'm not a recluse, but if there's nothing to say, what's the point of me being around? <laughs> so I kind of I feel that to that point, musically and film wise, you know, if you know if I want to take a break and do some stuff, but yeah, I've just continually got stuff going on for some reason. I don't know why that is. It's just um, I don't feel I'm in that much of control of it. It's just stuff that's whirling around in my mind. Gotcha. And uh, it's telling me to do the films, do the music, you know, and be creative and do this stuff. Tell the know. stories. Oh. Yeah, you're not getting you're not getting any younger. I think that's what my mind's telling me. You know? I, I'm I'm in a similar place. I'm in a similar place, John. Uh, you know, where you know I want to. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed the the performing arts, MW. Uh, yeah. I've, I've always loved the, the behind the scenes of, of how things get done, how movies are made, how, you know, um, music is produced, all that good stuff. And yeah. the performances themselves, is, of course, but I've always been, uh, it's always been inspirational to me. And I've always wanted, I've, I've, I've done some acting in the past and, um, mm. you know, so yeah, here I am, uh, 
43 years old and trying to um you know, just a youngster basically <laughs> uh, no well yeah like i said i'm not getting any younger and i'd rather say i, I, I at least i tried then uh, I wish I had, you know, so uh, this is something that's always uh, been in my heart and I'm, yeah. I'm fulfilling that now, you know, course, before it's too late. Know, exactly. It's, it's like the inspiration from other people. It's, it's a big deal, you know, it is a big deal. And um, for me, you know, it is, yeah, it is other people, you know. I love a singer called Um Kalthorn, who was an Arabic singer, Egyptian singer, and she's one of my favourite other singers. So even listening to her music, you know, it's just phenomenal yeah. you know it just inspires me to do to do, inspires you to live life itself if even if you're kind of feeling down you know it's a uh, 